You want the truth? Face the facts. This is VoiceAmerica.com. Depend on it. We are covering the Libertarian Party presidential debate live at the Texas Convention. I am a member of the Texas Libertarian Party, as many people know, when familiar with our show. And we're thrilled today to be able to cover this event. We've got five libertarians who are going to debate. We're going to be starting at about half past the hour. Uh, but we're going to vamp a little bit here, Ron. We're going to talk a little bit about what we're going to hear tonight, what we expect to hear. And uh, let's, let, let's see. So first, let's, let's talk about the, the candidates who we're going to, going to be, be talking about tonight. Uh, the, the first one, let's talk about Gary Johnson a little bit. He was the Libertarian Party candidate last time. Right. And you may, may, may know him as the governor. He was a, a two-term governor of New Mexico. And his joke is, by the way, Ron, that he is the only ex-governor of New Mexico that when the, his constituents see him, that he, they get, he gets waved at with all five fingers. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Great line. <clears throat> so, yeah, and so he's done some fantastic work. He, he, he exercised his veto power, ready for this, as governor of New Mexico, more times than every other governor in the country combined. combined. Wow, wow. And he was governor from 94 to 2003, right? Yes, yes, long time. Yep. For a two-term governor in a, in a really relatively democratic state. Yeah, yeah. No, I used to have a friend, a lawyer, who, who lived in New Mexico, and when he went to the Republican parties, he said, you could put us in the phone booth <laughs> when they had their meetings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he is, he is probably the favorite, the odds-on favorite, to get the nomination, but he is joined by a couple of other people, some of whom our audience might be familiar with, and Probably this guy is probably his name anyway is more familiar to most people. Uh, you don't really know him specifically, but it's John McAfee, and the reason why most people know him is because he's the one who started McAfee Antivirus Software. Yep. So save me many times. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. does, now is he from California, Ed? Does, I, you know, I believe so. I you know I don't know if he's native Californian, but I know that he is. Uh, it, it lives there now, or at least does some of his his video work there. Right. So. I think, it, and his company was based there, right? Yes. No, yeah, yeah. McAfee yeah. was, and I, not a fan of whoever took them over, because mm. yeah, mm. he's yeah. done some 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 videos where they, he was not happy about the way that they have what and what they've done, obviously with his his software. So we'll have to see. Very interesting guy. Several books on yoga. Um, you know really super intelligent and probably the most wealthy of all of the candidates so you know sure. just you know independently wealthy so it'd be interesting to see what he does if he's going to bring money to the table on that but uh, very interested in technology now he is the one Ron I don't know if you're aware of this a couple of weeks ago who said that uh, forget Apple right the, 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 the FBI should send him the phone and he would take care of it Right. He he said he would he would crack it. He give give him. I think he said uh, two weeks, because he has access to the people who can crack it. And you know what's interesting is they clearly have backed off that. Yep. Right. And I'm just wondering if that's what happened. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, my cousin who's in that sector tells me that there are people out there that can crack it, no problem. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. So, yeah. but. Anyway, then our next possibility or, or, or candidate is going to be Mark Feldman, and Mark is a uh, is a doctor, and he is a member of the Stop Mass Incarceration of Greater Cleveland, 
and president of the Ophthalmic Anesthesia Society. An ophthalmic, man, I can't say that. Anesthesiology yeah. Society. So, pretty interesting. I have not met Mr. Feldman. I've I've met both John McAfee and and Gary Johnson. So, um, and I'm going to leave you to. By the way, just to let you know, I'm leaving you to your devices at about. 7.15, about 15 minutes past the hour. And right, because you get to MC this event. I get to MC cool. this. It is cool. It is Very cool. cool. So, yeah, I'm pretty so, excited. So, Ed, Ed, just before we yeah, go yeah. on, I just want to talk about what, what, we, what we just sat through and watched was the uh, debate on the Texas Railroad Commission. Now, for us non-Texans, <laughs> please explain to me what the Texas Railroad Commission does. It's, it's sort of like Austrian economics, Ron. Right. You know that we, we, we've talked about Austrian economics and the first thing that you need to know about Austrian economics, it has nothing to do with the economics of Austria. Yes. Right. OK. The Texas Railroad Commission, the first thing you need to know, it has nothing to do with railroads. railroads. I mean, absolutely nothing. zero. Um, there there was a time there was a time when it did. Sure. Right. Sure. It, ba probably going back. Do you know how far it goes back? 1880s? Yeah. I wanna, yeah. I want to say, you know, after the Civil War. So 1880s, yep. 1890s. And it did have something to do with railroads, however slight, until I think about 2001 or two. Now, it was like 1% of what the Railroad Commission did at that point. Right. Yeah, but as of, as of the turn of the last century and the new millennium, yeah, the Railroad Commission has nothing to do with that. It's, it actually is what regulates oil and gas here in the right. state of Texas. So really, really important. And what's, I think, pretty interesting about this, and I'm, I'm learning this as a non-native Texan. I'm learning a lot of this stuff from my, my son, who's, who's doing Texas history in it's school good. now. Yeah, sure. so I guess. As everybody in Texas does, That's right, right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think what is pretty interesting about it is that the te Texas has a, a um, bifurcated executive. The governor is not the sole executive of the state mm. of Texas mm. right, because right. it's a commission strategy. Right. So we have an agricultural commission, three railroad commissioners. Actually, there are three people mm -hmm. on the commission and then a land, I believe, a land commissioner as well. So agriculture okay. and land. And they they have executive power in the state of Texas, like mm -hmm. the, the most powerful, truly executive in the state of Texas is actually the lieutenant governor mm -hmm. because he gets to set the legislative agenda. Right. So the governor of the state of Texas has some power, but much, much less than most other states because of this, this uh, bifurcated. Well, it's not bifurcated, I guess, because it's multiple. So it's multidimensional executive. Right. Wow. So that means these commissioners can really uh, wield some power. Oh, they, they, and they do. Oh, yeah. Big time. Now, of course, um, our guy, Mark uh, Miller, who uh, we hope to have on the show on the Soul of Enterprise at some point, is by far the most qualified. He's actually been in the oil and gas industry, unlike all of the other candidates. Right, right. <laughs> I just had a nice chat with him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for <laughs> yeah. sure. He knows the stuff. No, knows the stuff. Knows the stuff. So, yeah, so that was the railroad commissioner debate. And, all right, so we've talked about Gary Johnson. We've talked about John McAfee. talked about Mark Feldman. This next person is probably known to some people in our audience, and that is Austin Peterson. And Austin was at one point an associate producer for Judge Napolitano. So that's what is probably where he is most known for and, and, and has done a lot of stuff on Freedom Watch. He gets some, some TV time now and again. Uh, and he's, he, he categorizes himself as a constitutional libertarian. libertarian. So we'll have to ask him about right. that. When that, he, he, that is one of my questions for him. What, uh, what exactly is a constitutional libertarian? Well, yeah, what, is that, what does that do? Right. 
<laughs> so we'll get that. And he and he's also worked for the Tea Party and Freedom Works. Yes, yes. It, Tea Party, Freedom Works. So and, he's done and, a lot. And Atlas uh, Economic Research, which of course is where Tom Palmer is. Right. Or one of my heroes. Yeah. So we'll have to we'll ask him about Tom Palmer too. Maybe you can get Tom Palmer on the show for us. That would be a good good win. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the the uh, the knock on Austin, so you know, is is he is exactly he will not exactly thir- he's thirty five years old, which is the minimum you need to be to be president of the United States. So gr- I, very I, I young think guy. that's a feature, or not a bug. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, and the last one, and this is the person that I know the least amount of, and that is a uh, pastor Sean Joyce Sterling who is a non-fee pastoral counselor. We have to ask what that is, too. That's another one of those. What, is, what exactly what is, is a non-fee pastoral counselor? Uh, but she has a BA in religious studies, a BA in psychology with an emphasis in school psychology, and an MA in educational psychology. So lots of shrink work, Ron, working with uh, uh, military families and all that. So, you know, I wonder if she, if she is familiar with our friend Dr. Edwin Friedman. I'll have to ask her about that, uh, too. Yeah, good question. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to going to uh, ask her a little bit about that maybe perhaps in the green room uh, maybe we'll have a, a good conversation about uh, Edwin Friedman which would be really cool actually So, but uh, she's also done some work for uh, the uh, it, it is, is well I'm sorry she's running for president at, to protect the U.S. and defend the U.S. Constitution so another person who emphasizes the Constitution in her work so going to be interesting absolutely no it's really you know I've only heard a couple of these people and I know didn't just uh, John Stossel air uh, a debate with most of these folks, or yep, with well, actually three, three of, of them. them. Okay, yep. so it would have been McAfee, Peterson, and Johnson, but the, so the other two weren't weren't invited to that debate. And curiously enough, uh, probably as we speak, part two of that debate is airing now. Oh, okay. So yep. I, I I want you to know I purposefully did not watch that debate. I, I didn't either. Yeah, I and I I, I want to. But I figured uh, what I want to do is I want to I want to feel live in the moment tonight. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, you know, with with what's going on. So I, you know, it's weird. I've kept kept myself, you know, ignorant, which is weird. A weird feeling for me. Now lead with <laughs> your ignorance, right? We always talk about that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so okay. But um, anyway, so that's where that's where we are. Uh, we've got about twenty minutes till we get started on this. We're pretty excited uh, to to be here, and uh, thanks and, for flying in. So. Oh no, this is great. I'm really looking forward to it. This so this debate starts seven thirty our time central. That's right, that, seven thirty central, and mm-hmm. it goes to ten o'clock. Uh, ten thirty ish. Okay. Yeah, uh, you know, we'll see. This, wow, this, so it's, it's, it's it's long. It's long. It's gonna be two hours, and and. You know, Ron, we're liber- it, we're libertarians. It's very difficult to pin us down. To is there a break? <laughs> no break. No break. Mm-mm. So that's three hours, Ed. If it goes to ten thirty. Oh no, 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 no. I'm sorry. So no, it's uh, seven thirty to ten. No, yes, yes, seven thirty okay. to ten max. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, still yeah. pretty long. Yep, I have the. the that's time. still pretty long. It's a, yeah, I think it's scheduled officially for two full hours, and then, but what 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 is the official starting time? I, we're not quite sure yet. So. Now here in the hall, we have with the uh, which convention center are we at? Because I didn't realize San Antonio has multiple convention centers. Yeah, that's correct. This is the Norris Convention Center. Ah, okay. N O R R I S, and we are right right by the airport, really. Right, so we're not, right. We're not downtown in historic San Antonio, but which is a beautiful city, by the way. If our, yeah. any of our listeners get a Absolutely. chance, would highly recommend getting spending some time in San Antonio. Now would be a good time, by the way. The weather weather is beautiful. Um, gets pretty hot in the summer. It's a so. beautiful day here for sure. Yep. 
But Ed, there's a big board. There's a bunch of monitors up in the front of the room here, and I guess you're doing live tweet feeds. Yeah, and, live tweet feeds. The, the key here, so let's give out the hashtag, right? The hashtag is hashtag LPDebate. Hashtag LPDebate. Excellent. And that is the hashtag for the Libertarian Party debate. Uh, we should, you should know that there's also a hashtag for the, the, the convention itself, which is hashtag Liberty Now. Liberty okay. Now. But, uh, so if you want to monitor those, and I think I'm going to do that as well as the debate is going on, uh, we'll, we will uh, make sure to, to see what people have to say. And yes, we'll even be taking questions. That's what I was going to ask yes. you. So you'd be taking questions off of Twitter. Correct. There'll be social media. Great. So, social media questions. So if, if you, Ron, if you want to ask a question, tweet it away. Uh, but we will, we will, of course, have the candidates on after the debate. We are scheduled to have each of the five candidates meet with us for about 10 minutes, give or take. And, and that will happen after the debate. So we're pretty excited to get a chance to interview these folks. Pretty neat stuff. Yeah. So we should be going till about almost 11 o'clock. Rock and roll. Oh, man. Rock and roll. Awesome. It's only 9 o'clock your time, Ron, so. Yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah, you're uh, fine. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, 5 o'clock my time. Well, yeah, 9 o'clock tonight when it ends. Right, right, right. right. So, yeah, yeah, no. so, yeah, no, no, no excuses. No excuses. <laughs> All right, good. Good. And, hey, listen, we just want to take a, a chance to shout out and thank the folks at Voice America for putting this together. Yes. Uh, so far, this has it, it just been a fabulous experience. And, and Ryan, we appreciate what all you're doing for us on the other end of the line here. And uh, we know we can't hear you like we normally can hear our producer, but uh, we appreciate what you guys are doing. And a shout out to our executive producer, Robert Cellino, as well. For sure. Thank you. And Jeff Spinardi, the uh, owner or yep. founder of Voice America Radio Network. Yep. Thanks, you guys, for doing this. Yep. Fantastic stuff. So, listen, Ron, I have about one minute before I've got to leave you. So, yeah, right, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're, you're, you're going to on, you're going to take us for a, a solid 15 minutes. I would say you plan on 20. I'm, plan, I'm just saying, you're telling you plan on 20. I would guess that we're not going to start straight up at 730. Okay. But, hey, we're going to do, do, do the best that we can. Uh, but you will, there'll be some intro music and all that, so you'll be good to go. Okay. All right. Awesome. Yep. So, pretty, pretty excited. Um, what I'm going to do, all right, so we, I'm going to take my leave, and uh, we'll, I'll catch up with you in a little bit. All right. All, all right. right, Ed. All right, take care. Go get them, man. Go yep. break a leg. All right, thanks. <laughs> well, everybody, this is just awesome being here at the Texas Libertarian uh, presidential debate. We're covering uh, the five candidates that we talked about, uh, Governor Gary Johnson, the former governor of New Mexico, who is running uh, on the Libertarian ticket, and... He actually um, thinks that public policy decisions, I found this to be interesting, should be based on cost and benefits rather than strict ideology. And maybe that's why, as Ed said, he wielded his veto pen more than every other governor combined, which is just a fascinating statistic, if you ask me. Um, boy, maybe when I get to uh, interview the governor, I'll ask him about the cost and benefit uh, theory because that's kind of utilitarianism that we always talk about i'm back ron oh okay Fe feature of live radio i you know what i what i have not given you is the technical demo and what you need to do and i'm not since i'm not going to be here i got to show you yeah, <laughs> ron help. is now this is hysterical folks because ron is not technically savvy so you know <laughs> i pretty much like do everything for him on like technically wise so so this so here's the deal ron you ready all right ready all right so see this button right there you bet this is on next to the number one yep with that, when you hear the music come on, you need to press that button. Okay. Okay? So you need to press that button. And then these, I'm going to turn my mic off when I leave, and then you just need to turn your mic, which is number three, off. 
Okay. You think you can do that, Ron? Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> Thanks, Ed. <laughs> <clears throat> Who's taking bets on whether yeah, or not yeah, he gets this right? Say. All right. All right, so you good? I'm good. One on, three off. That's it. When Got I'm it? done, though. What's that? When you're done. When I'm done. When you're done. All right. All right. Good job. <laughs> See you in a bit. Sounds good. So are, we're live, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So uh, Governor Gary Johnson believes that public policy decisions should be based on cost and benefits rather than strict ideology. And if you remember, we did a show on the soul of enterprise on ethics. And one of the ethical frameworks we talked about was utilitarianism, which does look at the consequences of your actions. And one of the founders of that school is a guy named Jeremy Bentham, who came up with the idea of utils, basically the father of utilitarianism, certainly one of them, where he believed that if the benefits outweighed the cost, then it was an ethical decision. And it sounds like that's kind of one of the operating philosopher, philosophies that Governor Gary Johnson used when he was uh, governor of New Mexico. So really interesting to be able to talk to him. Uh, Mark Feldman is one of the, uh, another one of the libertarian candidates, and he seeks to bring transparency to government which is, I think, a noble goal for sure. Everybody wants everybody to be transparent. We certainly expect that from companies and other institutions that are important for us. Uh, and he wants to encourage voters not to support candidates backed by big money. He is a member of the Stop Mass Incarceration of Greater Cleveland, and he has served as president of the ophthalmolic anesthesia society so he, he's either an anesthesiologist or an ophthalmologist i'm not sure but he's but he's definitely a doctor so look forward to having the chance to talk to mark feldman john mcavee as ed talked about is the founder of the uh, norton antivirus software and that company which i think was sold a while ago i don't exactly remember um, he obviously brings a big technological focus uh, because that was the heart of his personal success. But the other thing that he's focused on besides technology in his campaign is privacy issues. So the whole debate around privacy, and you know, this obviously is not just about the NSA, but also about private companies. Facebook, Google, Apple, these, these entities have enormous information about us, our our desires, where we travel, maybe even where we are the moment, and how does that impact privacy? And is there a right to privacy in the Constitution? So these, these are some of the questions that, that uh, we'll have a chance to talk to John McAvee about, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, one of the things I have a running debate with uh, one of our colleagues, Dan Morris, who's been on the show, uh, about is whether or not there is a constitutional right to privacy. And it's an absolutely fascinating debate. Uh, the way I've had it explained to me by constitutional scholars from the Cato Institute and others is that privacy is a pseudo right. It's not necessarily, it's not in the Constitution. It's been read into the Constitution by various court cases, but it's a pseudo right. In other words, we don't have a pure right 
uh, to privacy like we do, say, for free speech. So very, very interesting debate. There, there are scholars on both sides of it. I'm, I'm not sure you know, where to come down. I'm no legal expert, but it's a fascinating topic in my mind. And, and obviously, it's something that John McAvee has thought a lot about. Uh, it's also interesting, I think, even with all the focus on the Apple phone and the FBI wanting to break it, uh, if you look at, uh, again, just private companies outside of the government that have so much information on, on us, uh, it, it's, it's, really, um, it's, it's really quite amazing. You know, you know what they say, if the product is free, like Google or Facebook, you are the product, right? Because they're mining our information and they're using that for better targeted advertising, possibly other other purposes in the future. So it'd be very interesting to get a, a Silicon Valley entrepreneur uh, who made his fortune uh, in the tech space to talk about technology and privacy issues. Then we have Austin Peterson. And again, as Ed said, Austin Peterson is, might be the one person who you know uh, the most out of all these guys. Um, and, and that's because he was the associate producer for Judge Andrew Napolitano's show, Freedom Watch, um, which ran on the Fox Business Network. And after the show's cancellation, Austin returned to D.C. to work for the Tea Party institution, Freedom Works. And sub subsequently, he has started his own business venture, Stonegate LLC, a popular national news magazine. So it's very interesting to talk to uh, somebody who used to be from the Tea Party and now is one of the libertarian presidential candidates. Uh, really looking forward to that. Uh, I've always been fascinated how people come to their political views. You know, if you, if, when, and it doesn't matter where you are in the political spectrum, whether you're a socialist or a communist or a liberal, conservative, a libertarian, whatever, what, what introduced you to those ideas? Was it a book? Was it a thinker? Was it a mentor? Was it a college professor? And, and, and what was the trajectory of your thinking uh, in, in various ideas of government and society and how we should be organized? all of those things. It's one of the questions. We only have about 10 minutes with each one of these c candidates tonight when we start to interview them after they have their debate. But it's one of the questions I would love to ask all of them is how did they come to libertarianism? What, what brought them here? What, what set of books, ideas, authors, whatever it was that, that put them on their journey? Um, so I think that's really interesting to uh, have a chance to talk to Austin Peterson. He does refer to himself as a constitutional libertarian who believes in economic freedom and personal liberty. Of course, I don't know of a libertarian who doesn't believe in economic freedom and personal liberty, liberty so I'm not exactly sure that's, that's a strategic differentiation for a politician. Uh, but Peterson definitely has a passion for limited government and it led him to a job at the Libertarian National Committee in 2008, and then eventually to the Atlas Economic Research Foundation. Atlas is a, a foundation that helps kind of global think tanks form and spreads liberty messages literally around the world. One of my mentors, a, a Cato scholar, uh, Tom Palmer, 
I believe, works for Atlas. Uh, I think full time now, but I'm I'm not 100% sure. He may still split his duties between there and and Cato Institute. But I know Atlas does an enormous amount of good work uh, around the world, spreading liberty and freedom ideas, publishing books by Hayek and Mises and others, getting them in people's hands. Um, it's really inspiring work they do. So really interesting to see that uh, Austin Peterson is involved with that as well. Uh, also, maybe want to talk to him about what it was like to work for Judge Andrew Napolitano, somebody who I always enjoy listening to. He's always a, got interesting perspectives. Uh, so look forward to that. Um, and then we have Pastor Shauna Joy Sterling. She'll be on. She says she's a non-fee pastoral counselor. <laughs> and so that's probably the first question is, what exactly is a non-fee personal counselor. Um, she has a BA in religious studies, which is, I always find fascinating, people who have studied religion, theology, uh, and especially if it's comparative, where they can compare one religion to another. Uh, and she's got a BA in psychology with an emphasis in school psychology and an MA in educational psychology. Uh, she's done uh, work with working with military families, and she says she's running pre for president of the U.S. to protect and defend the U.S. Constitution, which is good because she will have to take an oath to that effect, I believe, on the steps of the Capitol. She's the winner. And the rights of people to live in peace and freedom, which, again, I have yet to meet a libertarian who doesn't believe in those things. So um, interesting positioning there. Uh, so, folks, we're just really excited to be here, especially running this live uh, on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. I'm in the hall now as people are coming in to take their seats uh, to, to watch the debate go. And Ed Kless, my co-host, is actually mentor, uh, is actually emceeing this entire conference here in San Antonio. So that's kind of neat. And again, uh, we gave out the hashtags. Um, ah, okay, great, thank you. To ask a question, by the way, if you want to ask a question during the debate, uh, let me give out some information where you can do that. There's hashtags on Twitter for this conference. There's hashtag LP debate. And they have many monitors around where they're, where they're monitoring social media. So you're able to type in a question. And maybe yours will be asked of one of the five candidates. Uh, I'm not exactly sure of the logistics of how they're taking questions. But I'm sure they're going to be taking social media questions. This debate is scheduled to start 7.30 Central Time, and it is scheduled to go roughly for about two hours, possibly two and a half hours. So it's fairly in-depth. Um, five candidates on the stage, they'll probably have a pretty good time to respond in-depth. We just had a pre-debate uh, on the Texas Railroad Commission, and I'm a non-Texan, I'm from California, so the uh, first thing you learn is the Texas Railroad Commission has nothing to do with the railroads, as Ed said. Uh, but it was really interesting. They had a Green Party candidate, and they had the, the Libertarian candidates uh, running for the commissioner of the Texas Railroad Commission. So that was really interesting. So you can get a hold of uh, and ask a question at, again, Twitter, hashtag LP, Libertarian Party, LP Debate. And there's also a hashtag where you can follow the entire conference. 
and I believe it is running until Sunday. Uh, it may be just tomorrow. I'm, I'm not exactly sure because I'm not staying for the whole thing. I leave tomorrow, but I know it's running tomorrow, and that hashtag is hashtag Liberty Now. So you can certainly, uh, you can certainly uh, follow the conference live there on Twitter. And to ask a question, there's also another way to do so. You can send a text to the number 22333. So type in 22333, and then you have to type in a code. And the code is 136092. So again, to send a text question to the candidates for the presidential candidates of the Libertarian Party, send the text to 22333, and then type in the code 136092. Again, that's 136092. So that's a great way to ask questions that you may have for the Libertarian candidates. I have to say, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm learning as much as uh, probably anybody else, certainly not the folks here. They're, they're very committed Libertarians in this audience, I believe. But uh, I don't know much about some of these folks, so I'm kind of seeing them and listening to them for the first time. I, unlike Ed... Ed is a libertarian. He's a big player in the Texas Libertarian Party, but I am not a libertarian. I consider myself more of a conservatarian, so I'm more of a blend of a conservative and a libertarian, um, probably a capital C conservative and a small L libertarian. Lots of libertarian leanings, lots of libertarian heroes, lots of economists who I've read over the years. Uh, for, with, from a libertarian perspective, obviously have influenced my worldview. Um, but the, I, I'd still believe there's differences between libertarians and conservatives. Uh, however, I do believe that, uh, <laughs> that they share the DNA over 90%. Um, they really agree on much, much more than the disagreements. It's just it seems like the disagreements kind of overshadow all the areas where they agree because, I mean, there are a ton of areas where conservatives and libertarians uh, sound the same to me uh, and they read the same. So I uh, find that very interesting. Um, so just so you know where kind of we're coming from on that. Uh, we do have, there's, there's going to be two moderators tonight asking the questions of the candidates. And just to get... Uh, just to give you, just to give you a little bit of background, possibly on them. Um, up, we have. Uh, well, one of them is Ben Farmer, and Ben Farmer is the vice chair of the Libertarian Party of Texas, the director of uh, the Libertarians' Public Relations Department, and he's the host of the Voice of Reason radio show uh, on eighty-nine point one FM. Austin, Texas. He's a graduate of Odessa Permian High School and the University of Texas, uh, the Permian Basin, with a BA in political science and history. During university, he was selected as a fellow for the prestigious Congressman Bill Archer Fellowship and spent a semester in Washington, D.C., working for the Osgood Center for International Studies and the Libertarian National Political Director, where he helped organize events such as the National Model United Nations and the anti-NS Stop Watching Us rally. Um, what I find interesting about Ben here 
is he worked, um, it was a, selected as a fellow of the prestigious Congressman Bill Archer Fellowship. Bill Archer, I believe, a uh, congressman from Texas, was the uh, chairman of the House and Ways Committee. And, of course, that's the co congressional committee that writes all of the, uh, that writes all of the tax uh, legislation, right? All tax legislation originates in the House of Representatives. And the, so the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee uh, is kind of the grand poobah of that committee, has a lot, wields an enormous amount of power. And I remember reading some things uh, on, from, about Bill Archer and how he thought we should reform our tax system and uh, always thought he was a very clear-headed, level-headed thinker. I think if I remember right, he was an advocate uh, for the flat tax and uh, a tremendous advocate for simplification of the tax code. Uh, so, so that's Ben Farmer, and he'll be one of the moderators asking questions. As you can hear, they're getting ready to uh, start here. So we're going to dim the lights, and we're going to go off, and we're going to listen to the Libertarian presidential debate. Enjoy, folks. Welcome to the presidential debate at the Libertarian Party of Texas's 2016 state convention. You guys fired up? All right. Well, enough about me. Let's get started. I'm going to introduce our moderators for the evening. First up, we have Jack Spinkle. Many of you know Jax. Give her a shout out. Yay. Jax is the executive director of Texas Normal, the Austin chapter of the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. She's been involved in cannabis laws since 19, oh, 2005. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. 2005. Made you older than you were. That was me saying 1900. In her tenure, Jax has given hundreds of interviews and participated in panel discussions and speaking engagements. She innovated the first ever cannabis-centric voters guide in 2012 and continues to prepare the, for the Texas Normal Voters Guides each election season. Welcome, Jack Spinkle. <laughs> Our second moderator is well known to most of you in this room. Michael Bodnarek is a philosopher, author, iconoclast, I love that word, and political agitator. He began studying the Constitution in 1982 and quickly realized that most of what our government is, does is, guess what? Unconstitutional. <laughs> he considers this unconscionable and totally unacceptable. He was our 2004 Libertarian nominee for President of the United States. He has recently returned to live permanently in the great state of Texas. <laughs> oh wait, it gets better. He plans to die in Texas with his boots on, with his, with his smoking gun in his hand, if necessary. Give it up for Mike Bonarek. <laughs> and now for the millennial portion of our program, we have Ben Farmer. He is the vice chair of the Libertarian Party of Texas. Give it up for Ben. He is the host of the Voice of Reason radio show on 89.1, uh, I'm sorry, FNM in Austin, graduate of Odessa Permian High School and the University of Texas of the Permian Basin with a BA in political science and history. And you're going to explain to us what the heck is going on behind you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for that great introduction there, Ed. So this big monstrosity behind me right here is the Liberty Now Command Center, brought to us by our friends at Signal Labs and ATX Event Systems. What this is doing is looking out over the internet in real time 
And you can see how Clayton is, is manipulating the pictures up there. So I'm going to ask you guys to do something that you're almost never going to hear at a live performance, and that is to take your phones out and turn them on. Please be polite and turn your flashes off. However, we do want you tweeting about this. We want you Facebooking about this. We want you blogging about it. And remember to use the, the favorite hashtags from the candidate you want to ask a question from. And remember to use our hashtag, which is hashtag Liberty Now, and you'll be able to see your stuff going up here in real time. We'll be able to gauge what the whole internet is thinking right now. And the person who's going to take your text message question, you got that little yellow sheet of paper? All right, good. The guy who's going to be taking those text message questions for, from you is this gentleman right here, Mr. Michael Armand. I'll turn it over to him. All right. <laughs> so in order to send a question, you're going to send the text to 22333. But before you actually ask your question, you're going to have to type in the code that is right beneath that, which is 136092. So, all right. Okay. So, in order, you're going to be sending the text to the number 2233, and then in, before you ask your question that you would like to ask, you want to type in the code that's beneath that, which is 136092, and then you type in your question. Great, thanks, Michael. I just want to point out that this is exactly the kind of thing that we have been doing in the party over the last couple of years, is to make sure that people understand that we are the party of the 21st century. And we will use the creative application of technology to show the rest of the world that the libertarians are coming, baby. And we will use the creative application of technology to show maybe undecided voters in the state of Texas that we are the party of the 21st century. And we will use the creative application of new technology to show the rest of the world that we want liberty now. We want it right now, and that's what this weekend is about. Let's do it. All right, thanks, Ben. Thanks, Michael. So, hashtag Liberty Now. There's also some of you I know are also using hashtag LP Debate if it's specifically about the debate, but we want you to push that Liberty Now in order to get on the big board over there, right? So, hashtag Liberty Now. Now, to introduce the candidates for tonight's event. As one of his primary campaign reforms, Mark Feldman seeks to bring transparency to government and encourage voters not to support candidates by backed by big money. He is a member of Stop Mass Incarceration of Greater Cleveland and has served as its president of the Ophthalmological Anesthesia Society. Give it up for Mark Feldman. Shauna Joy Sterling is a non-fee pastoral counselor. She has a BA in Religious Studies and a BA in Psychology and an emphasis on School Psychology, an MA in Educational Psychology, additional coursework in Rehabilitation Counseling and working with families with military, uh, with military backgrounds. Sterling is running for President of the United States to protect and defend the United States Constitution and the rights of the people to live in peace and freedom. Welcome, Shauna Joy Sterling. Governor Gary Johnson, who has been referred to as the most fiscally conservative governor in the country, was the Republican governor of New Mexico from 1994 until 2003. A successful businessman before running for governor of New Mexico, 
He brings a distinctively business-like mental, uh, mentality to governing, believing that public policy decisions should be based on costs and benefits rather than strict ideology. Welcome, Governor Johnson. Austin Peterson is a constitutional libertarian who believes in economic freedom and personal liberty. Peterson's passion for limited government led him to a job at the Libertarian National Committee in 2008, and then eventually to the Atlas Economic Research Foundation. After fighting for liberty at our nation's capital, Peterson took a job as associate producer for the Judge Andrew Napolitano Freedom Works show on Fox Business News. Welcome, Austin Peterson. <laughs> And last, by only the draw, well, with the technology being at the heart of his personal success, John McAfee and his campaign have taken on uh, privacy as their main campaign focus. He has authored several books on yoga, been featured in several publications on technology and privacy, and founded several development companies. Welcome, Mr. John McAfee. And lastly, before I turn it over to the moderators, I want to just introduce Dawn Youngs, who'll be sitting up front here. She is holding the cards that will be, uh, indicate as to when they only have, I think it's whatever seconds left, we'll go over that, right? Uh, but wanted to introduce her, because she is the, the, also the executive producer of this whole thing. So quick, give it up for <laughs> Dawn Youngs. Thank you. All right, I'm out of here. Michael, Jax, you're on. Candidates, welcome. Uh, good luck with your campaigns. We are going to start with a three-minute opening statement. Um, Don is going to be doing our uh, timing. <coughs> he announced what the uh, yellow means. This will be 15 seconds. Done. Okay. <laughs> what, is, what is the get off the stage card? Now that that's me. That's you. That's okay. me. Thank you very much. Um, Please adhere closely to the, uh, the flags. Uh, if you keep talking for more than a few seconds after the red flag, I will embarrass you on TV. <laughs> All right, uh, three minute opening statements. We're gonna go in uh, order. Uh, Dr. Feldman, you're first. Thank you. Uh, I'm not easily embarrassed, but I'll try to uh, pay attention to the cards. I wanna thank everyone for having me. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Libertarian Party. I love libertarians from the most abolitionist, anarchist, radical to the most pragmatic Rand Paul supporters. I love libertarians. But libertarians come in different varieties, and I'm glad that I have an experience with some Texas libertarians. Uh, I most recently came from uh, a debate in Los Angeles, and uh, you know I've seen plenty of the you know, the hippie flowers and pot libertarians. I want to see some Smith and Wesson Jack Daniels libertarians. <laughs> now, a lot of being a candidate, a lot of politics is communication. Uh, and and uh, I have to say is, uh, you know, I, I'm not a politician. I'm a physician. Uh, it's different. Uh, when physicians lie, we get uh, imprisoned when politicians lie, they get elected. So I'm, I want to change it. So, but, but don't believe what I say. Don't believe anything we say. Check it. Uh, I appreciate it. It shows that you're engaged. 
Uh, I really, you know, I, I uh, ran for uh, Ohio Attorney General. I got 100,000 votes, more than my friends and family. But I did it for the Libertarian Party, not for me. There's really no political office or appointed office I ever really wanted. But it occurs to me there's one office that, that I would gladly take, and it would be an honor to be the US ambassador to the free and independent Republic of Texas. I've been practicing my, my Texan for my communications. You can let me know how I do. Uh, when considering Hillary Clinton, she's, she's slipperier than fried lard and meaner than a skillet full of rattlesnakes. <laughs> now, I tried to, to find something for Donald Trump but none of the Texas idioms really seemed, you know, 50, it was it, the 10 gallon mouth, uh, all had no cattle. This didn't really, didn't really express what I wanted to express. And it, maybe it's because I don't have that experience. So I had to fall back on my own experience in New York City, Washington, D.C., and probably mostly Baltimore, Maryland, and fall to the idioms of the plain-speaking folk who'd say that Donald Trump is a fucking asshole, a spoiled, selfish bully, and a bigoted motherfucker. <laughs> and that's why we call it Charm City. that I don't like Donald Trump. And it's our responsibility as a liber libertarian party to make sure that he does not become the next US president. And my God, to make sure that Hillary, who is a traitor to this nation, does not become the next US president. I love this party. I think I've been a libertarian my whole life. When I was just four, well, maybe it was five years old, my parents dropped me off at school and I said, I don't like this school. I remember this too, I don't wanna be here. And when it ended, I threw my papers down and I took off walking out of there. And long story, they held me out and they didn't know what to do with me, with this self-independent person. And so, you know, I was raised Christian, so that worked. Christian parents um, who were both ministers and I did all that singing, I worked with youth, I worked with children, did a lot of outreach. But this independence inside of me that's bucked the government, that's bucked every, every system trying to control me, has not left. And I finally found my home with the Libertarian Party. And I'm here to stay. And I'm going to help you with everything I've learned. I've been an organizer for another campaign. They, they recruited me. I did this NAS internship. Next thing I know, I got recruited. Well, we got this, this person. It was Obama, OK? We got him into office. I know the stuff that's not in the white papers, the stuff that you gotta go up to the levels to learn how to run, how to win a presidential campaign. I'm gonna teach you guys everything. I hope to be the nominee. I need 30 people who give me a chance and 10% to debate, which I'd love to do. But you get me in there, regardless whoever that nominee is, I'm gonna help this party get the percentage they need with whatever I can give to this party. 
I've had an amazing, oh, is my time up? That's okay. Well, tell me when my time's up. I'll just say, because this is important, I've got to go to several debates with these guys, meet a lot of libertarians, and you would not believe the diversity of libertarians that we have. It's all over, and everybody that I've met, the common thing that they have is they don't want this corrupt government to get away with what they're doing now. I will go in and I will prosecute them. Our government is controlled and it's been overtaken by those who do not love this country, who do not love freedom, and I'm going to go after each and every one of them. And I'll end with that. <laughs> Thank you. I'd like to <clears throat> tell you a few things about myself maybe that you don't know. Um, one is, is that I have never said that I am going to be the libertarian nominee for president. I think that that would be arrogant. I think that that would be assuming, and that's not who I am. That isn't to say that I don't want to become the nominee. I want to become the nominee. I want to make a pitch that I'm the guy to vote for. And for starters, uh, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. Uh, I started a one-man handyman business in Albuquerque in 1974 and actually grew it to over 1,000 employees. I understand what government can do when it comes to regulation. I understand what it takes to make a payroll. I'm also an athlete. I've been an athlete my entire life. Health and wellness is something that's really important to me. Uh, I haven't had a drink of alcohol in uh, 29 years. Um, <laughs> I've, I've climbed the highest mountain on each of the seven continents, and what that says is, is that I know how to put one foot in front of the other. I know what it's like to climb uphill, and I know what it is to persevere, to just keep after it. Um, that everything that we do, um, something goes wrong, and you can either persevere or you can roll up on the couch and say, that's the end of things. I was also the governor of New Mexico. Uh, I distinguished myself as governor of New Mexico by perhaps vetoing more bills than the other 49 governors in the country combined. So when you talk about, I'm the government skeptic. Um, I really don't believe um, that government, although it's well-intentioned, uh, passes legislation that actually positively affects our lives from the standpoint of time and money, and like I say, I stood up to that uh, in a big way, more than the other governors combined. I ran two campaigns for governor where I did not mention my opponent in print, radio, or television. I think people want to vote for somebody as opposed to not voting for someone else. Give people a reason to vote for you. I tell the truth. Um, I admit mistakes. Uh, I am on time to a fault. Um, I live by the golden rule. Do unto others as I would like others to do unto me. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Austin Peterson. I am from Missouri. I was born in Independence. I was raised on a horse farm in Peculiar, just a short drive from a town called Liberty. 
Uh, I was steeped in libertarianism as a young man. Uh, I learned about personal liberty from my parents who were deep religious, and they taught me uh, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I learned about economic liberty when my mother and father sent me out into the fields in the summers to plant chrysanthemums and to sell them to the people of my small town. I learned the value of a hard day's work and how to earn a dollar. Uh, I was also taught how to ride a horse and how to shoot a gun and how to respect a gun. My father was in the Special Forces. He was a Green Beret. Uh, that Green Beret sits above my fireplace, and I have great respect for our service members because of that. And I think that I would be the best nominee for the Libertarian Party because while I'm sort of the anti-establishment candidate right now uh, in this anti-establishment party, I think it's time for us to shake it up and to bring a pure, hardcore libertarian message to the American people in a way that they find palatable. Because I think that we can sell our principles to the American people as long as we're selling it with the veneer of the sort of establishment in a sense. You know, there was a, a famous radical who said that real revolutionaries do not flaunt their radicalness, but they cut their hair, they put on suits and ties, and they system from within. Well, let me tell you something. I've been fighting every single day almost for the last 10 years for this cause. I started with Ron Paul in New York City where I took a 12-man operation and we raised a million dollars and we got 1,200 volunteers for Ron Paul. But it didn't but it didn't end there for me because the Libertarian Party called me up and said, hey, we want some of that fire, we want some of that pizzazz. So I moved to Washington, D.C., and I turned your national office into a powerhouse of activism, and I plan on doing that again. Now, listen, I know that you guys, I'm a little bit fresh to you. I'm the youngest on this stage, but I am not inexperienced. I've also run a business and made payroll. I run one of the most powerful libertarian news magazines in the United States. TheLibertarianRepublic.com reaches 1.5 million people a month. That's not all libertarians. I have been converting people to libertarianism for a decade. <coughs> and I've been doing that on, uh, yes, I've been doing that for profit. So I think the ideas are marketable. Not only have I worked internationally to spread libertarianism to countries like Russia, Malaysia, Brazil, China, and other hot spots of authoritarianism, but I also produced one of the most libertarian television news shows, Judge Andrew Napolitano's Freedom Watch. He called me the right side of his brain. Now listen. Listen, you guys are wonderful, and I think that we have got a chance this year. The thing that makes me different from these candidates are the things that are gonna make the general population go, this is the guy that we want. Because while I may be young, I think I re can represent a broad swath of the American people because I'm pro-Constitution, pro-life, and pro-liberty, and that matters. I will get these Cruz supporters when he takes a knee, and I will get the Bernie Sanders supporters who don't want corporatism or crony capitalism. I'll fight for you, and I'll make you proud to be a libertarian. I guarantee it. I first read uh, Henry David Thoreau's Civil Disobedience when I was in college. Not, not because I wanted to, but because I was forced to. Now, there is a contradiction my brain has never reconciled. My first arrest for marijuana was in 1971 in the town of Bristol, Virginia. I was walking down the street, smoking a joint, and got arrested. When I got out of jail, I went straight home, rolled another one, went to the same location, lit up, and got arrested again. When I got out of jail the third time, I was facing 25 years if I got caught in that town again, so I went to Mexico. 
where I was immediately arrested for marijuana. Um, the, uh, the, the takedown went something like this. I was stopped at a federale checkpoint. I'd been smoking. Of course, you can smell it. And the, feder the, the federale says, Tienes uh, marijuana? I go, Si. Quantos? Creo que es demasiado. In other words, I think it's way too much, and I was arrested. So uh, after, after that, I decided that marijuana was, I should stay away from for a while. And so I started selling in Mexico jewelry uh, without a license. I go, why should I get a freaking license? And in, in Puerto Vallarta, I got arrested for selling jewelry without a license. Um, this has been sort of a, a, a habit of mine. Most recently, I think many of you have heard about uh, my police situation. I was approached by a government agent who asked for a $2 million donation. I said no. A week later, my property was stormed by soldiers. My dog was shot. I was tortured. Uh, he came back the next day and said, have you reconsidered your donation? I go, get the F off my property. Um, so we all know how that ended badly. When I came back to the States, my first day back, I was penniless. All I had was my jacket and my, and my shoes. Uh, and I met this woman uh, who was 30 years old, beaten and battered. Um, she was forced into prostitution at the age of 20 and for 10 years lived as a slave under a pimp. Uh, I rescued her personally. I married her, and I hope she's watching the stream tonight. I love you, baby. Um, most, most recently, I, I think I'm due for another arrest soon, and I'll explain why. So uh, three weeks ago, I debated the FBI mouthpiece about the, uh, the Apple FBI problem. And uh, I, I think I won that hands down. I also dug up, since I am John McAfee, and I can find out anything about you guys. So um, I dug up a contract from 2013 where they had the equipment that would let them do that. And I think I won that today. The Justice Department is once again going after Apple for someone else who's a drug dealer in New York City. I wrote an article for Business Insider this morning, and it's going, unfortunately, viral. The headline is, John McAfee to the FBI. I am the pit bull that will bite your ankles forever. And in there, well, it's not good. So you know, hopefully they'll let me finish this debate before they cart me off. But thank you very much. Thank you for those opening statements. We appreciate each of y'all's opinions and coming here today. I will start off with the first question, which will be for all of you. Um, ending marijuana prohibition and the failed drug war has long been a libertarian position. States across the nation are legalizing medical and adult use of marijuana. Even here in Texas, we're preparing for the upcoming legislative session. In fact, we'll be doing a briefing tomorrow from 1 to 2 in the Elm Room. And on Sunday, delegates will be addressing the drug policy plank of our platform. When elected, how will you utilize your executive powers and the executive branch to end the failed war on drugs? I'll start with Mr. McAfee, please. Well, well first of all, I, I, I think that marijuana is separated out way too much. Drugs are drugs, whether it's coffee or alcohol or, or heroin. And that if we, in fact, do own our bodies, then there can be no limits to what we may do with them. And a government that tells me I can or cannot put something into my mind or my body is no government whatsoever. So my first act is I will pardon not just all the marijuana offenders, but every nonviolent drug offender in our prisons. There are, our, populations, our populations are overflowing. 
with nonviolent citizens. Uh, that will be a start. Uh, and I know that the, the executive branch cannot create law, but it can uh, carry out the enforcement. So if you assign the DEA to some other task, well, why don't we just put you all along the border and just try to keep the drugs from coming in and stay the heck out of American citizens' ways? I think we can legally do that. Um, but, but it's a horrendous, horrifying situation. I've been in prison many times, unfortunately. Um, and I can promise you, it is a horrific. I, I learned about liberty and freedom from prison, believe it or not, because once that is taken away from you, completely, I mean completely, then you understand its value. And you have to trust me, I understand this value. Thank you. So I think I've assembled the finest teams of uh, economic advisors, military advisors, uh, and lawyer and team of libertarian lawyers that I think would make a fantastic transitionary government for you all. <clears throat> and several of those advisors have told me that the president actually does have the authority to end the federal war on drugs on day one, and this is how. All we really need to do is to ask the head of the DEA to set the enforcement schedule of these drugs to zero. So I can end the federal war on drugs on day one, setting all drugs to zero and kicking the war on drugs back to the states, ending the federal war on drugs on day one, and I would do it. God damn, that's a good idea. Yeah. Now listen. Dr drugs are dangerous, and there are some inherent problems of federalism because, you know, Texas might execute you for looking at a joint. You know, California might make it mandatory to wake and bake every day. So, you know, <laughs> just realize that there are some problems inherent in that. But the president does have certain constitutional authorities, and he does have the ability to, uh, to set the drug policy in that way. We can end the DEA uh, by ending their enforcement ability, and that's what we ought to do. Ending the war on drugs is step one to, de to, end to uh, stop stopping the, the overflow of criminals in our system. We, we unfortunately do not have the power to pardon all nonviolent drug offenders because the president can only pardon someone who's convicted of a federal crime, and that's important. But I would absolutely consider all federal prisoners who have committed nonviolent drug crimes, and I would do so in, in accordance with the law, the Constitution, and with libertarian principles in mind, I promise. Uh, good news, bad news. Um, good news, in 1999, I was the highest elected official in the United States to call for the legalization of marijuana. Bad news is, in 2016, I am still the highest elected official to ever call for the legalization of marijuana. And yet, in 1999, 30% of Americans supported legalizing marijuana, and today, it's about 60%. Now, I guess Bernie Sanders rolled out of bed and hit his head, and I'm glad that he did, and he's now come out in favor of marijuana. Uh, but that just points to part of Bernie's lure, and I don't think he's gonna end up to be the nominee. Uh, I don't think he's gonna end up to be the nominee, and I think his followers, uh, a big portion of his followers, recognize marijuana as being a really big issue. I think that 90% of the drug problem is prohibition related, uh, not use related. Uh, that's not to discount the problems with use and abuse, uh, but that should be the focus. Couple of predictions. I think that California in November is going to vote to legalize recreational marijuana. And overnight, I think 20 state legislatures will then just simply pass it 
through legislation as opposed uh, to the ballot box. Um, I really think that this country is going to take a quantum leap forward with the legalization of marijuana, recognizing first and foremost that it's so much safer than everything else that's out there, starting with alcohol. Something that is not all that well known, and that is in Colorado, um, the campaign to legalize marijuana was a campaign based on marijuana is safer than alcohol. I would pardon all those nonviolent, victimless uh, criminals behind bars in federal prison. And as governor of New Mexico came to recognize that the majority of, uh, of federal prisoners are there on drug-related, really drug-related marijuana crime. Dr. Sterling. Whereas some of the candidates are trying to work their way around this, um, I know Peterson was mentioning possibly some executive orders that, was it executive orders that you would do? No, actually, uh, you, you just- I'm curious, instruct the I'll DEA. use my time, go ahead. Yeah, in, okay. You would instruct the DEA to set the federal drug schedule to zero. Okay, I don't know what, I, I'm not sure how you got to that, um, how you got to that, but I do know this, that pursuant to our US Constitution, the federal government has no right to regulate the drugs, and that's the truth. That is a decision for the states, and that's a decision for the people. And via the Constitution, I will pursue those who have violated it, and I will go after them strong. And this so-called government who's bringing whatever, shadow government or whatever these people are that are actually bringing these drugs in, I spent two years in Guatemala fighting for children's rights and fighting corruption. I hired criminal attorneys to help me in this war. I'm not scared to go after these people, and we will go after them. As far as those who have been put into prison and they're nonviolent and it's for drugs, I will seek to have legislation brought to me, and I will support it so that I can make sure and not have this, this continue, that we can go back and try and find a way to help them through counseling, but they should not go to jail. They should, they should not be in prison. This is ridiculous, and this has targeted a lot, of our, uh, a lot of minorities. And so I will aggressively go after this and make it to where we can actually provide some way to get these people who have, in my opinion, who have been put into prison and suffered wrongly to right them from the injustices that they have had to suffer under our corrupt government. Thank you. Dr. Feldman. They say opportunity knocks but once. Reality keeps knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and nobody answers the door. There is reality. Marijuana is not a drug. It's a plant, it's an herb. I disagree with those who want to regulate marijuana like alcohol and tobacco, it should be normalized like caffeine and chocolate. I will admit that I have never used marijuana uh, because I've never smoked anything in my life and the brownies just have too many carbs. <laughs> and also the fact that it's illegal makes it kind of inconvenient, as John has shown. I'll tell you though, you know, we had our Libertarian Party convention in Colorado 
but they had it in Colorado Springs, one of the places that makes marijuana illegal. <laughs> makes no sense to me. Now, I would not, I, I do not approve of medical marijuana because marijuana is not medicine. It's therapeutic, but it's not a drug. A lot of things are therapeutic. Tea can be therapeutic, my mother's chicken soup can be therapeutic, and good sex is therapeutic, but I don't want it regulated by the FDA. And as, as far as releasing and pardoning prisoners, uh, you know, I, I would not separate out uh, uh, drug crimes. You know, if the purpose of prison is punishment, then if somebody steals $1,000 and I as a taxpayer are paying $30,000 a year to keep him in prison, who's the one being punished? We need alternatives. We need to let these people out to join their families. And, and, uh, and support themselves and their families. I'm not so much about, about freedom and liberty. I'm about power and control. I uh, agree with the non-aggression principle, but I add a second principle. I call it the positive empowerment principle. We need to maximize the power of individuals to, to control themselves, their property, and their environment as long as they're not infringing on the rights of others. I believe we have a Twitter question coming up next. So the question is, what would each of you do to get the federal government out of public education? Uh, I would abolish the Federal Department of Education. Um, I was more outspoken than any governor in the country regarding school choice. Uh, I really think that bringing competition to education would really change education. If we could unleash tens of thousands of educational entrepreneurs to improve on education, that would be incredibly uh, exciting. And when it comes to the Federal Department of Education, the Federal Department of Education gives each state 11 cents out of every school dollar that every state spends but it comes with 15 cents worth of strings attached. Federal government says you need to do A, B, C, and D, and we'll give you 11 cents. Well, A, B, C, and D cost 15 cents. It makes no sense whatsoever. And I think we all think that the Department of Education was established under George Washington. It was established under Jimmy Carter. And tell me what has been value added since that happened in the, in the 80s, nothing. Right, so let's check in with what's going on at the mission control wall over here. Over here is the real-time mentions, and before this debate started, uh, you know, you would get a peak every 15 seconds or so. As you can see right now, uh, it's peaks after peaks after peaks. Each one of these colors represents a different candidate or also the convention itself. So we are getting blown up all over the internet, folks. That's what's going on in here right now. Uh, a couple of the stories that were going on. Uh, obviously, people are repeating quotes that have been going on in this room. Very, very good, gentlemen. And these pictures, and Clayton's just dominating the board up here with his blue bonnet picture. <laughs> so keep the tweets and the Facebook posts coming. Remember to use the hashtag LibertyNow, and uh, let's change the world, folks. Okay, uh, we're going to do our second round. Uh, we'll ask 
one question. All the candidates get to answer the same question. You have two minutes for your responses. First question, imagine that you're in a television studio in San Francisco and you're getting ready for their local version of the Today Show. The discussion so far has been focused on the upcoming anniversary of the school shooting in Sandy Hook. Surely, you don't agree with that NRA lunatic Wayne LaPierre that all teachers should be armed. What is your solution to the growing violence in this nation? And should we amend or abolish the obsolete Second Amendment? You made the assumption that I do not want all teachers to be armed. Um, <laughs> the Second Amendment is a necessary and structurally integral part of our Constitution. People have always gone armed. I mean, in the Renaissance, the, the most flowering period of intellectualism and beauty and art, look at, look at all of the paintings of all of these sweet faces. They all have swords and a dagger. And when pistols came along, a pistol stuffed in their belt. These were the, the literati of the time. We're, we're our people too. We don't no longer use swords. Well, for me, they'd be too heavy to lift, but, but we, have, we have firearms. There is no difference. There is no difference whatsoever. We have a fundamental right to protect ourselves. There is no magic button that you can push when a burglar has broken into your house and is holding a gun to your head. There's no button you can push to make the police magically materialize between you and the police. They are not here to protect. They are here to clean up after you've been shot in the head. I'm sorry. Please, people, we are responsible for our own safety and the safety of those that we love, our families, our wives, our children. So, I, 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 you know, if anybody has ever Googled me, if you can find, you know, three pictures in a row that do not have me carrying a gun, I will eat my shoe right here. Um, so I don't think there should be any doubt what, what side of the line I stand on. Not because I'm warlike. I've never drawn a gun on anybody, but I've never been unarmed either. Uh, and please, it, it's the most fundamental right, the right to self-protection. Thank you. Johnson, you'll be next. Gary. Uh, I got to, I, there, there's a difference up here, and right or wrong, I did get to serve as governor of New Mexico for eight years, and after the shooting at Columbine, uh, the press had microphones in my face. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do, what do, you do to prevent another Columbine? <clears throat> I said, you're not going to like the answer. What do you do? What do you do? You're not going to like the answer. What do you do? Well, you arm teachers. You make it a requirement that teachers be armed. And you're not going to like that answer, but that's how you could potentially uh, limit the damage of something like that in the future. As governor of New Mexico, I did sign concealed carry. As governor of New Mexico, I stood up against limiting the caliber of a bullet or the number of bullets in a chamber. In my opinion, you start doing that, and only the criminals are going to have the bigger caliber weapon or, or more bullets in the chamber. Um, and I believe in arming the good guys. Uh, so Second Amendment is very important. It's something that I've stood up for my entire career and continue to stand up for. I think you can only have one bullet in the chamber. I could be wrong.
I'm sorry. I, I was being funny. You can only have one bullet in a chamber. <laughs> Thank am, you. I, am I right, folks? You, this is Texas short, you know. Most laws are really given to the states. Only special uh, laws are in the Constitution. The reason why the right to bear arms is in our Constitution is because it's not about target practice or hunting or even self-defense. The reason it's in the Constitution is because it recognizes that the right of the individual is superior to the power of the state. I don't want a concealed carry license. I don't want a same-sex marriage certificate. I don't want a marijuana grower's permit. I have a constitution. I want a government that follows it and does not ask for permits and permissions and licenses for things that are none of the government's business. Yeah. Now, Rahm Emanuel, in a, in a period of weakness, spilled the beans. In a famous quote, he said, never let a crisis go to waste. It lets you do things you couldn't do otherwise. And what it does is it allows you to control the population. People ask me, what would you do to stop, to stop a, a columnite? You're asking me what I would do? You're making me king? Am I the absolute monarch? Am I the one, is everyone gonna listen to me and do exactly what I say? If that's the case, don't stop at guns. I could fix everything in a week. If everyone, if the criminals and everyone's gonna listen to me, I'll fix everything. But the problem is, I won't be here forever, somebody else will be king, and then they will infringe on the rights of individuals. So instead of asking what I would do, why don't we ask who should be making the decisions? Who should be controlling the guns? Should it be our government? It should be our law-abiding citizens. Thank you. The NRA would give me an A+. I love guns. I was raised with guns. I will always defend our rights to have guns and to um, go against anyone who tries to infringe upon those rights. As far as Sandy Hook, that was ex an extremely horrifying and sad event that not only affected the children in that school, but affected children all over our nation. And when our president, Obama, can have guns protect his own children, then I feel that our children, if their families want it, if their schools want it, then they should have that same opportunity to protect their children. As an organizer for his campaign, they gave us a list that specifically said that they, they would not infringe upon the gun rights. It was a lie. They deceived America to get elected, and we saw them immediately go for the guns, start to, seek, uh, start to change the laws based on Sandy Hook. What they did was wrong. They should never have done that. What, when, I, when I saw that Obama was going back, and he was actually trying to get control and take these arms away, which is not what he ran on, okay? This was his real motive. We see, we see that now. I went out in defiance, and I got an AR-15. I live in Kentucky. It was great. Went to show, got an AR-15, and I was so proud carrying that thing out. And I put some videos on. You know what? They did not like it. I started teaching on the Constitution. They didn't like that either. And I actually had to leave my home because I got threatened. 
I had to leave. I came to Texas with family for safety. <laughs> On my way here, before that red card goes up, I went into with my little girl, with my AR-15 sitting in our little Scion car, I went into a rest stop and had Department of Homeland Security came out with them staring their face right at me, scared the hell out of us. They were looking at me. They had targeted me. And as I began to drive off, I had two of them harass me. And because of that, when I realized after fighting for rights in children in Guatemala, one of the most dangerous countries, I had security. They moved us house to house for our safety. It was very dangerous, but I stayed there and fight. And when I saw that our own country was doing these things, that's, you want to know why I'm running for president of the United States? Because I'm not going to go down that road. And I can't do this by myself. The GOP won't do it. They're bought and paid for. The DNC won't do it. I am sorry to tell you this. The Libertarian Party, it's our only hope to change this country. And I need you guys. We need you guys. Everybody watching on TV. My time is almost up. You're watching on TV. This is a packed house. There's people okay. everywhere in here. We Thank all you. need you. Well, Texas, let me tell you, I think that the Department of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms ought to be a retail shop and not a government agency. <laughs> I, I consider myself a constitutionalist, but truly, we do not get our rights from the Constitution. We get our rights as because we are individuals, and our natural rights are intrinsic to us and to our humanity. And that includes the right to self-defense. The founders, the founders didn't write muskets in the Second Amendment for Constitution. They wrote arms because they had foresight. Uh, and the militia clause is oftentimes quoted to us by liberals as a way to say, oh no, only public officials, only organized militias can have guns. Let me tell you why that's not true. Because George Mason, who was George Washington's hunting buddy, was asked the question of what does this militia clause mean? And he said, oh, I asked her, what then is the militia? It is the whole of the people, except for a few public officials. <laughs> so let me tell you, you know, I do actually believe in a form of gun control. We need to control the government's use of guns. The second, the, second one, the second Amendment wasn't written so that we could go hunting. It was meant to, so we could shoot at tyrants if our government ever became tyrannical. The, the McDonald versus Chicago gun case codified uh, to the states. Uh, it incorporated the Second Amendment. We now have an intrinsic individual right to bear arms because of those Supreme Court decisions. I do applaud them. Uh, but, you know, if I were President of the United States, I would ask Congress to send me legislation overturning the National Firearms Act immediately. Because there is no point... Ab, thank you. Yes, we need to overturn this law because, listen, fully automatic machine guns aren't any more dangerous than a semi-automatic. And if we can educate liberals about this, then maybe we can make some ground with them. Because they see a gun that's black and they think it's scary. Well, if we had more gun education in this country and we could explain to people the relative safety of firearms, then I think we would have a safer country. An armed society is a polite society. I would defend gun rights to the last man, I promise you that. All right, so now I'm going to ask each one of you a direct question and then move on to the next person. I'm gonna start off with Mr. McAfee. Your arrival at political activism has come, quote unquote, later in life. Could you describe your journey to this activism and how and why you feel that the Libertarian Party is right for you? 
indeed, thank you for pointing out my advanced age. Uh, <laughs> You're I, I believe I'm the oldest man in the room. Um, uh, by the way, as speaking of age, I'm, I'm 100 years older than, than Austin, and yet, <laughs> yet, every time I'm with him, he teaches me something new. That was effing brilliant about this drug schedule to zero. Duh. I mean, I was hoping, I was thinking I was going to have to march myself with my gang of thugs into prisons and break people out, but, you know, that's awesome. So now, um, I love that. I, I did come late to politics, uh, but I didn't come late to libertarianism. I mean, if you listened, you know, if you were not asleep during my opening statement, I've, I think that I have lived, literally lived, a libertarian life. Um, and, and I continue to do so, and, and here is why. I mean, I have lived that life for your children and your grandchildren. I have been to jail so that my daughter and granddaughter and other children will not have to go. There is no other way. You've got to stand up and do the hard thing. You have to face insurmountable odds. You do. Because here's the thing. By acquiescing to a government's demand to invade your mind and body, you are imposing on your children and grandchildren that same acquiescence without their knowledge. That's all I have to say, thank you. Thank you. All right, the next one is for you, Austin. You distinguish yourself from the rest of the field with your position on abortion rights, claiming that you are pro-life. The current libertarian platform states, Recognizing that abortion is a sensitive issue and that people can hold good faith views on all sides, we believe that the government should be kept out of this matter, leaving the question to each person for their conscientious consideration. Could you give us a more detailed explanation of your position from a libertarian perspective? When you say pro-life, what exactly do you mean? And what specific proposals are you making in relationship to this position? Absolutely. I've been convinced by Dr. Ron Paul on this issue. This is not a matter of religion to me. This is a matter of, of personal ethics. And I believe that libertarians should be pro-life because all humans deserve the same right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now. Listen, I, I'm very much a realist. I understand that the president does not have the authority. Murder is a state issue, uh, and I think that it should be left to the states. But there are some things that the president can do. Ending the war on drugs will allow women to purchase birth control over the counter. This is statistically proven to reduce the number of abortions. This is perfectly in line with the libertarian platform. It's the, it's the type of thing that liberals can get on board with, because nobody is pro-abortion. Nobody, I mean, unless you're actually a eugenicist, you know, you're not going to say, yes, we should kill the babies, because I believe that it is a human life. And I, listen, I'm sort of a nerd. Um, I'm kind of a futurist. I like to think about the future of humanity. And this mass culling, I think, must stop. I believe that, it, that science one day will solve these problems and that we can have less coercive ways uh, in, in order for us to solve the problems of abortions. I wouldn't ban, you know, uh, RU486, uh, or, and I wouldn't take away birth control pills. The reality is, though, is that libertarians must present to the American people a positive life ethic, a consistent pro-life ethic, which means that we must also be against the death penalty. We must lift ourselves up out of the barbarians of ages. We must be better than those enemies that we seek to destroy, the ISIS enemies, those who burn people in cages. We want to protect every life that we can because humanity is the, is the, is the desire to live. And, and without life, there is no liberty. 
So I don't believe that I'm in conflict with the libertarian platform. I just love humanity. I love my fellow man, and I love children and babies. And I think that, listen, if we don't have more libertarian babies, then we won't grow. So please protect the children and believe me and trust me and have faith that I am fighting for the lives and liberty of every single one of us, even the unborn. Governor Johnson. We have been at war forever. <laughs> when you are elected to be president, what would be your strategy to get us out of the current conflicts that we are in? Well, um, first of all, um, I would stop putting, I, I believe that our military interventions have made things a lot worse. Uh, they're not the cause for terrorism, but they've made things a lot worse. So let's stop. Let's stop with the military interventions. Stop putting troops on the ground where troops are, men and women are dying, maimed, injured for life. Uh, let's stop dropping bombs. Uh, let's stop with the drone flights that are killing thousands of innocent people that are making this situation worse, not better. We can cut off the funding to terrorism, something that uh, Saudi Arabia has taken a lead on, so have the Emirates. Uh, we need to involve Congress in declaring war uh, on uh, terrorism, something that currently has become a, a, an executive prerogative along with the military. That's just plain wrong. So we do have a very real terrorist threat. We are going to attack if attacked, but currently let's contain what's happening over there. Uh, let's cut off the funding. Let's involve Congress. Uh, in this so that decisions made regarding our military actions, if there are any, are going to be made um, under the auspices of all of us, uh, that all of us are going to see this as a very transparent debate and discussion that should be taking place. Thank you. Pastor Sterling, you were recently a Republican. Can you address your shift to libertarianism? I was actually raised a Republican. And being raised a Republican, you're not allowed to be anything else but a Republican. So let's see, I'm 43 now. So that was pretty strongly ingrained in me. And um, I never got involved. I never did like what I'm doing right now. And I think the reason why I didn't get involved, and I. I didn't do much was because in my heart, I just wasn't a Republican. <laughs> and then, of course, I told you how I got recruited to help the Democrats out. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, this is cool. They're really, they love the grassroots. We're all going to um, help each other. And I just, I just really thought everybody's going to help each other. And we did. And I learned all the stuff I learned and learned how to get a president elected. But then I saw Obama. I saw the whole list and all the lies that he did. And I said, you know what? This party. <laughs> is the same as the other. They're run by the same, and I don't want anything to do with them. <sighs> and then, <laughs> but I didn't know about the Libertarian Party yet, okay? So y'all have to really get the word out because people will love the Libertarian Party once they know about you, they really will. And so what I did is I said, yeah, I got to do something. I went back with Republicans. I said, I'm going to run against Mitch McConnell. At that point, that was after the, 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 Homeland, the, the Homeland Security kind of 
came and followed me and made me mad. Then I said, you know what? I'm going to run for president of the United States. Let's, do, let's deal with that. And uh, what I thought is I'm going to go ahead and probably need some political experience <laughs> since I didn't have any. So I ran against Mitch McConnell, and I got a lot of experience doing that. And um, when, I was, um, when I gained the experience I needed, I pulled out, and you won't believe what I did. <laughs> I endorsed a libertarian candidate, and it was David Patterson, and he was the first one who reached out to me, then another libertarian reached out to me, and it's really people that reached out to me that drew me into this party, and I thank you guys for accepting me, and I love it, and I'll help you however I can. Dr. Feldman, you proudly advertise that your vote is not for sale. Yet we know that the presidential race can be a very expensive undertaking. So this is a twofold question. How do you propose to fund your race? And do you have a specific policy about campaign finance reform? Absolutely. I mean, basically, there's, there's two parts of this campaign. I actually started from assuming that I've been elected president of the United States, I've been sworn in, will I be able to balance the budget? Will I be able to move this country in the right direction? I have my balancing credit plan, it's implementable, I can do it. Now, so let's keep working backwards. How do I get elected to be president? How do I get the libertarian nomination? So there's two parts. First question is, how do I get to the nomination? And the fact is, I'm an anesthesiologist, I have some extra funds, uh, and uh, even with a few $5 contributions, I can travel, I can stay in hotels, it's really no problem. Uh, I have a wife who is not supportive, but <laughs> when I told her I was thinking of running for president, my wife is no libertarian, but she had a very libertarian message. She said, do what you want, I can't stop you, just leave me out of it. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if our government said, same-sex marriage, marijuana, guns, healthcare, retirement, do what you want, just leave me out of it. So now, people say, you know, why is it, now my, my policy is I accept contributions from anyone, but there's a $5 limit. Try to donate $6, and uh, it's a sorry, you can't do that because it's over your limit. Now, why is that? It's because, I, here's the thing. America agrees with our principles, but they're not voting for us. Why is it? I think they hear us. I think they agree with us. I don't think they believe us. I was born and raised in, in and around Washington, D.C. I knew politicians. They lie. We're up here. Politicians lie. That's why they don't believe. So we can't tell them. We have to show them. And that is one way I can show. I can tell a poor Hispanic guy in the inner city, if you'll donate $5 to my campaign, you'll be my biggest donor. Thank you. I really like to ask the same question of all the candidates so I can compare answers. When Gary Nolan and I ran um, in 2004, we were actually very good friends. Um, we characterized ourselves as two Clydesdales pulling the same beer wagon. Um, so what I'd like you to do is to pick one of your opponents and tell me why I should vote for them. Starting with Sean.
I'm a strong believer in the LP non-aggression principle. I believe through mediation, through diplomacy, through relationship building, that we can avoid force and aggression. As a U.S. president, I will uh, make an oath to the U.S. Constitution with the guidance of the LP NAP. There are three people on this stage, NAP, excuse me. There are three people on the stage that don't have that same opinion. There is one person that does. So that person right here <laughs> would be Dr. Feldman. He has a strong uh, a view of the importance of the non-aggression principle. He's been defending it. I've been watching him in action, and he's been defending it aggressively. Some of our other candidates on the stage have not, and we also now, I, from what I understand, have a whole state that is not wanting to um, defend it either. So that's a very big concern for me. I think when you go to vote, the delegates really need to take that into consideration, and I'll leave it to them if they want to, the other three want to explain their views on it. But I do know that I have been watching, and I've been looking to see who's strong uh, defending it, and Dr. Feldman and I are the only ones that happen to this point. Thank you. Could actually, I could say a lot of nice things about everybody up on this stage. Um, I've known Governor Johnson for years. I supported him heartily in 2012, and if he wins, I will support him with all of my heart as well again. Um, Mr. McAfee and I have become close friends. I look at him sort of as a father figure. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> I'm honestly, I'm insanely jealous of his life, and uh, who wouldn't want to live that kind of utopian libertarian life in, in South America? And, and an international man of mystery and intrigue. Uh, Mr. Mr. McAfee is an inspiration to me. Um, he, I think he's got the sex appeal that this ticket needs. <laughs> And, um, and uh, I could say a ton of nice things. Shauna Sterling has the love and the hope for the future. She represents the faith-based libertarians. Uh, uh, Dr. Feldman would be a fantastic Surgeon General. I think any of these candidates on stage. <laughs> I think there are lots of good reasons to support any candidate on the stage. Governor Johnson is a great voice for liberty. He's got the experience and the credentials that we definitely lack with the rest of us. So we all have our strengths and weaknesses. Um, I could make a case for anybody up on the stage, but uh, vote for me anyway. <laughs> Not a cop-out, but any one of the four candidates outside of myself here would make a better candidate, make a better president uh, than anyone that the Republicans are going to put up or anyone that the Democrats are going to put up. to agree with, uh, with Gary Johnson. Uh, if you look at the current field, it's like uh, choosing between uh, a brain tumor and castration, and I just, <laughs> I, I, I could not, with all of my heart, vote for either of those. Um, and in all seriousness, uh, uh, Gary's correct. I think any of us up here, any of us up here, would make a far uh, better president than anything that the Republicans or Democrats have vomited out in the past 20 years. So thank you very much. Uh, so I'm also a libertarian, so I don't listen to what people tell me to do. So I will also give a plug to, to each of the, our candidates. Uh, John McAfee is like the teenage son I never had. Uh, <laughs> 
Austin Peterson brings a freshness and energy and a not and feel pretty easy on the eyes. Uh, Gary Johnson uh, has the, has the experience, and people know the, you don't have to guess how he would be as a, as an executive. He's been there, uh, but you asked me to pick one, and I'll tell you. I would pick Shauna for one reason especially, and that is I'm all about power and control, and people are trying to control the Libertarian Party. John Stossel is trying to control the Libertarian Party. He tells us that we only have three candidates. Uh, Steve Curbell dropped out because he said John Stossel did not consider him uh, a, a, a candidate. Well. I think that we should take control from the media. We shouldn't let the media control us. We should control the media. We want, we should have the media after our convention. I want the media to say, what the fuck? What happened there? And we can do it. Thank you. to our uh, viewing audience now, and uh, we're going to take two Twitter questions, uh, directed to, each question directed to a particular candidate. So this question is for Mr. McAfee. Your arrival at political activism came later in life, and could you describe your journey to this activism and how and why you feel the Libertarian Party is the place for you? We, we are libertarians. That one got answered earlier, right? Yes. Give him another one. Give him another one. I, I'm happy to answer it if that makes everybody happy. I'm, I'm pretty easy. I think they asked that already. <laughs> they did, but I'll answer it again. It's easy for me. <laughs> another question. That'll please everybody here. You did address this on Stossel, but there's a great deal of chatter about your legal status in regards to the troubles in Belize. Could you tell us how you would address this concern to a wider audience? I will be more than happy when the Japanese create an android that can speak for me because I get that question more often than I get hello or you're welcome. So um, <clears throat> more than happy to answer it. Um, I, I never was charged with anything. I mean, I've been charged with lots of things, but they are all civil libertarian things. With one exception, I was charged with driving under the influence of Xanax. That was stupidity. That was not civil disobedience. Everything else is because I refuse to submit to the, the injustice of the world. Um, so what happened is, uh, as I said earlier, they they tried to extort money from me. I didn't want to didn't want to pay it. Didn't feel up to it that day. Um, the, um, the government police is the most corrupt in the world, by the way, and, and, and the, the prime minister has had all of his business competitors removed. They just disappear. You know, they fall off of a cliff, they drown, the truck drives into a river, they get shot by a burglar. Uh, that's simply the way it is. Um, so after that event, when the soldiers stormed my property, destroyed my property, shot my dog, the whole ball of wax was no fun, I promise you, my neighbor was murdered six months later. Uh, and I truly believe to this day that the government of Belize did that murder. Why? So they could then question me. Because ever since they stormed my property, the press had been around me constantly. Because it was a big story, you know, an uh, American entrepreneur arrested, roughed up, tortured, and so on and so forth. So they couldn't touch me. But they could question me. And in Belize, legally, you can question someone for 60 days. If you don't like the answers, you question them for another 60 days. And in many cases, they string you up by your heels, put a football helmet on your head, and beat it 
with a baseball bat. I was not up to that that day. Um, and so I went on the run. Pure and simple, I was never charged. I was never even a suspect. I was simply wanted for questioning like every single one of my neighbors were wanted for questioning and they chose to be questioned. I chose not to. And it's as simple as that. Uh, but again, I, I have made one legal mistake of driving under the influence and I regret that. And unfortunately, it came late in life. It was last year, so thank you very much. second question is for Dr. Feldman. While you are a longtime and respected member of the Libertarian Party, you have not gained as much attention as the other candidates in this race. If nominated, how would you bring your visibility to a national level? Well, it's actually part of, part of the strategy because, you know, if we had someone who uh, has the the, the uh, wonderful attractiveness, the, the inspired voice, just a very, very special person. If they're going to win because they're a special person, they're also an easy target and they're easily destroyed. You know, we don't, you know, people say, well, how are you going to raise money? How are you going to get name recognition? Well, if name recognition is the most important thing, then we're looking at a President Clinton or a President asshole Donald Trump. Now, but what we have is we have principles and we have political integrity and they don't have that and they can't get that. Uh, and this was also part of the reason for my $5 maximum contribution. I was having a discussion with someone in the uh, very high up in the Republican Liberty Caucus. He said, let me explain to you why libertarians cannot possibly win. I said, why is that? He said, because whatever issue starts to get traction with the public, whether it's marijuana legalization or same-sex marriage or, or gun control or, or civil asset forfeiture, whatever it is, if it starts getting traction, the Republican Party can get on top of that bigger and louder and look like they invented it. And there is no way you could win. I said, well, let me ask you a question. What about my $5 maximum contribution? Suppose that starts getting accepted by 3%, 5%, 7%, 10%. Do you think the Republican Party could get in front of that? He thought for a moment and he said, I don't think so. That's how we're going to win. We're going to win on our principles. We're going to win on our integrity. The other thing I'll tell you is that my last name is Feldman. I'm proud of that name because my great-grandfather bought it to get onto the boat. But Feldman means man of the field, a farmer. So you throw dirt at me, you throw shit at me, I will grow tomatoes. I'm not going to do a Ross Perot. Thank you very much. Um, we're in the third round. Um, we are actually ahead of schedule, which we're going to come up with additional questions. Um, so this question is going to be for each of you guys to answer. Um, we've seen how hard it can be to work with a partisan Congress. Um, while staying true to libertarian philosophy, how do you plan to strategically implement or remove uh, policies so that libertarian principle can be turned into policy? And if you have any specific examples of how you've done this in the past, we would love to hear that. I'd like to start with um, Pastor Shamster, please. I think one of the things that, that I would be good um, in, this, in this area is, um, is helping to um, bring people to negotiation, to the negotiation table. 
and to talk about this. And that probably has a lot to do with the fact that I have a huge background in uh, pastoral counseling. And it's just a matter of getting people to the table, sharing their hearts, and letting everybody get a feel for each other. And once they do that, they realize that, you know what? We're all Americans. Yes, there's the, there's the Republicans. Yes, there's the Democrats. And yes, there's the Libertarians. But we're really Americans. And when you, when you can do that, then you begin to see those other outside influences who are trying to buy seats, who are trying to buy their way into our government, and who have bought their way. I really don't have the heart to sit with them. I, I tend to prosecute them and to try them and to clean our government, get those kind of people out. So when I say I'm going to go after them, that's, that's what I mean. I mean, there's no negotiating with the criminal. You just got to go after them. And that's, that's, that's what I would do. But really, if we, get, if we sit down together, you'd be surprised at how libertarian the average American really is. And it's, and it's something that the Libertarian Party, I've been all over now, something we need to work on. Because when you're in at the GOP or the DNC, you're really brainwashed. <laughs> you really are. And it helps to have somebody who loves the Libertarian Party to sit down and just to reach out with them and not to tell them, you're not Libertarian, you're horrible, you're our enemy. And if you don't do that and you just draw them along and you talk to them, you begin to see that they're going, that light will click on them, they'll be like going, you're right. The government is controlled. They are trying to tell me what to do. We have to do something about this. And you'll find that they can be some of your most loyal people who will help fight. And I actually, I have, uh, I have individuals across this nation. They're not libertarian. Some have come in. I believe if I can get this nomination, they love our country, I can bring them in. But these are the kind of people that don't just want to do the 5%. They want to go for the White House. You don't have to say we're going to win, but if you go for the White House, and that's what I plan, plan to do, I think I could bring in a lot of people into this party. Thank you. Mr. Peterson? Yeah, there are obviously lots of issues that we can work with Republicans on and Democrats on. There's a little libertarian in everyone, but let's be honest. If a libertarian president wins, that's a mandate to kick some ass. All right? We're talking about cleaning house here. So with a wave of liberty in the United States and a presidential candidate who destroys the, the three-party systems, we have a mandate. <clears throat> so I will use the power of the veto to ensure that Congress sends me a path to a balanced budget. And that's what I'm pushing for. I will veto every unconstitutional bill that comes along my desk or one that does not set us on the path to a balanced budget. Now, I have got the plan that I think is the best way for us to address the problems of our debt and our deficit. That is the penny plan. And if you haven't heard of it, do me a favor, Google it. This is what we need to push the American people. One penny out of every federal dollar across the board, we cut spending and we pass a constitutional amendment, a balanced budget. If the American people have to balance their checkbooks, so should Congress. <clears throat> Right now, we are at 105% of spending uh, ratio of uh, spending to our GDP. We need to get that down. We need to get that down to around 18%. The government needs to live within their means. We can do this if we move towards a balanced budget amendment. And I would sign such a constitutional amendment to make the government within their means. But truly, and Gary Johnson is correct, there is a little bit of a libertarian in everyone. So whichever Congress, uh, whichever House, <clears throat> excuse me, party is in control of Congress, you find the issues 
that you agree with them on and you work with them on that. If the Democrats are in control, we work on civil liberties issues, ending the war on drugs, um, <clears throat> ending crony capitalism, and bringing in the Democrats that are that are principal Democrats on those issues. If Republic the Republicans are in control, then we work on balancing the budget. So I think there's something for us to be to get done in Congress, but we're not just getting to they're not getting sent there to make friends. We're getting sent in there to throw a few elbows and clean house. And that's the attitude we might have to take. It's a little bit uh, aggressive, we might say, but that's what I think the American people want. They want a president who can kick some butt when he gets in the White House, and I promise you that's what I'm going to do. Thank you. Dr. Feldman? Government is an instrument of force. It's a lethal weapon. But like a handgun, if it's kept under control, and used properly, it can protect our rights. If we don't control it, it will infringe on our rights and the rights of others. We need to get government under control. I agree with Shauna, you don't negotiate with criminals. I will not negotiate with Congress. The, the President of the United States has a lot of power and the president does not answer to Congress and does not answer to Supreme Court, but answers to the Constitution of the United States. I have a constitutional plan. Number one, balance the budget and keep it balanced. It, we have to for our nation. Ronald Reagan did a hiring freeze. He was sued, they, and, the, and the court said, if the president says it's necessary for the country, it's necessary for the country. I would put, uh, I will give a balanced budget to Congress. They can pass it. They can pass another balanced budget. If they don't, if they continue continuing resolutions by executive order, I will put spending caps across every federal agency to, to limit their spending to available revenue, period. Second, government can only do, according to the Constitution, what's necessary and proper. If, if people want to use their money to support private organizations to heal the sick and shelter the homeless, the government should not get a dollar of that money. I would introduce in my balancing credit plan a dollar-for-dollar dollar rebate for all charitable contributions. This will cause a huge increase in donations to charity, and because we have a balanced budget, we're going to have to balance the budget. Uh, we're going to have to cut the budget, and now we'll know what, where. When people are donating to educational institutions, I can go. I will not ab abolish the, the the Department of Education. I'll just say we've gone over what people have donated to privately to education, and you're left with seventeen dollars and thirty-four cents. Knock yourself out. Mr. McCarthy. Well, I had an epiphany recently, and I finally understood there is one thing that the president can, in fact, do. That is, instruct the DEA to set the drug schedule to zero. That's his game for so. You're a smart man, Mr. Knight. The founding fathers and mothers, yes, mothers, all these men were married. And if you've been married, you know exactly what influence a woman has in this world. And do not forget it if you're married. So now, um, the founding fathers and mothers purposely structured a government which was tripartite. What does that mean? Does, has anybody ever milked a cow? Nobody. This is Texas. Oh, yeah. Did you use a three-legged stool? Wonderful. Three-legged stools do not wobble, cannot wobble, and maintain stability, no matter what chaos is going on around it. 
So if we truly act on libertarian principles, which are very, very simple, they are the principles within the Constitution, our right to privacy, our right to self, the fundamental concept that we do not harm one another and we don't take each other's property. And we keep our commitments and our agreements. We keep our word. Really, is there anything else in the Constitution other than that? Everything else is built upon those precepts. A libertarian president has the Constitution on his side or her side, I promise you. And if you go in with a pure heart and you believe in and act on these principles, Congress will get a clue, I promise you. Thank you. This is going to sound really naive, but um, I'd never been involved in politics before <laughs> prior to getting elected governor of New Mexico. So naively, I really thought that Democrats and Republicans would come together when it came to good ideas. Well, that's just not the case. There's Republican dogma that uh, Republicans won't cross over that line. There's Democrat dogma that they won't cross over that line. And I will tell you that I was an equal opportunity vetoer when I was governor of New Mexico. I got elected as a Republican. There was two to one Democrat versus Republican in the legislature. A third of the bills I vetoed were Republican bills. My favorite bill that I vetoed was a dog and cat exercise bill. Uh, it, was gonna, it was a Republican bill that was gonna require pet stores to exercise their dogs and cats two hours a day, three times a week. Now I gotta tell you, it's a really good idea. That's where I would like to buy my dogs and cats, but I vetoed it because I said, if I sign this legislation, the next thing I'm gonna have to do is fund the dog and cat exercise police. So I think as a libertarian president, you could challenge Republicans to balance the federal budget. You could challenge Democrats. We've got the highest incarceration rate of any country in the world. And really it has to do with mandatory sentencing. It has to do with ending the drug war, challenge them. They're supposed to be about military intervention, but they're not, but challenge them on that. And as opposed to crony capitalism, bring a libertarian perspective for the whole country. Look, let's eliminate income tax. Let's eliminate corporate tax. Let's abolish uh, the IRS. Let's, when it, when it comes to jobs, let's talk about entrepreneurism. Let's talk about the fact that you can take your expertise and apply it entrepreneurially, creating your own job, creating other jobs. Look, the model of the future is Uber. It's Uber everything. It's Uber accountant, it's Uber electrician, it's Uber doctor, it's Uber lawyer. It's eliminating the middleman, allowing direct payment by you and I as customers to the individuals serving up those goods and services. Thank you. I want to get away from ideology a little bit. Your wake-up call comes at 3 o'clock in the morning. Your plane leaves the ground at 6 a.m. You do 12 to 16 interviews before your 8 p.m. fundraising dinner. You don't get to eat because you're answering questions to your biggest supporters. You finally get to bed around midnight. This is an average day. Some days are worse. You have to repeat that 150 days in a row. 
please describe how, how many hours a day you were willing to dedicate to this campaign and what toll you expected to have on your physical health and on the relationship with your family. You just described my work in every business that I started, um, which has been many. Um, my first company, McAfee Associates, I worked 18 hours a day, seven days a week. I went without eating. I went without sleep sometimes for three or four days at a time. But all entrepreneurs have to do this. I mean, this is just a necessity of success in business. Uh, and I founded 17 businesses in my 70 years. Uh, all but four of them flourished. Uh, McAfee, I sold for um, 7.8 billion, or it sold for 7.8 billion. Uh, the total of all the companies I've started are valued now at over $20 billion. I wish I had all that money. I do not. Um, so I'm, I'm no stranger to hard work, and you cannot succeed in life in doing anything without hard work. You've got to put your nose to the grindstone, your shoulder to the wheel. Um, and, and if you're seeking the, the highest office in this country and you're not willing to work 18 hours a day, seven days a week, you will fail just like my competitors in business failed when they took on a 40-hour week for themselves. It can't be done. It can't be done. So what toll is it going to take on me? I don't have a clue. I've been doing this my whole life, um, and I'm still breathing. So I definitely have the commitment, and I certainly have the experience in, in hard work. Thank you. So I've had the good fortune of having a tremendous campaign manager come onto my team who is an entrepreneur himself who has been fighting uh, doggedly every day. I'd love to give some credit to him, Mr. Tony Stiles. Tony, thank you very much. About, about four to six weeks ago, we were in Washington, D.C. It was 3 a.m., and my girlfriend and my staff had all been passed out. There was nowhere for me to sleep except for a dirty pile of laundry against the wall. And uh, I curled up against the cold wall, and I slept with a airline pillow on my back, uh, all behind, around my neck, because <clears throat> it, I didn't want to disturb everyone who had been working so hard to get me here today. Uh, and when the state of Colorado decided that they would not invite me to their forum specifically because they were afraid of what I had to say in their forum, I drove, we drove 18 hours that night straight to Colorado to tell them, uh, give them a piece of our mind to talk about liberty and free speech and say what that really means. So if you think that when the presidential debates comes around that I'm going to slink away even if they don't invite us, even if we don't make the, the high percentage, the ridiculous percentage, you got another thing coming. I will be there. I will be there. I wrote back down. Governor Johnson has stated that there's no way that a libertarian wins the White House unless they get into the base. What kind of attitude is that? We've got to be true. We've got to be champions. Listen, then will you drop out? Then why not drop out if you don't get into the debates? Because they're not going to let you in, Governor. You need a champion. I am the Freedom Ninja, and I will fight for liberty, just like I have every day for 10 years. This is a defeatist attitude. He is a defeatist. Do not nominate this man. Nominate the man who will fight for you till the very end. Because listen, for the last 10 years, every day on the Freedom Watch, I have stood. I am the night watchman. And there is no one who will stop me from pushing this message. No Republican, no Democrat, and no Libertarian. Because I am my own man, and I fight for liberty and what I think is right. And I will speak my mind, though those may they come against me. So do not give in to defeatism. Fight. Do not give in to the end, because it's never the end for liberty, no matter what happens.
Well, what you're describing is something that I've done three times. Nobody's worked harder than I have. No one works harder than I have. Having run for governor twice, uh, having been the Libertarian nominee in 2012, I will tell you, though, that what experience brings to the table is, is I don't do the things that don't work. I still work as hard, but I don't do the things that didn't work, and that was something that I learned through experience. There is no way that a third party wins if they're not in the presidential debates. I am suing the Presidential Debate Commission to bring that about. And last week, I polled at 11% in a national poll. That has never happened before that I've been, that my name has been included in this. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you, when it comes to the presidential debates and the, and the presidential debate commission as the rules now stand, you have to be at 15% to be in the presidential debates. You think they're gonna state tomorrow that you can't be in the presidential debates tomorrow and I'm gonna give up? Hell no, they're gonna state that maybe two, three weeks before the election. So this is a no give up the whole time. And if you think I'm going to give up, then vote for Austin. Let me tell you something. No, 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 no. Listen, no, we, we've got everybody knows our policies here. This is Shauna's turn. Excuse us. It's actually Shauna's turn. Thank you very much. You had your Listen, two minutes. This is going to be it, guys. You, what do you have to say? I'll just show that chance to speak. I was addressed. I was addressed. I have a chance. He was addressed. I paid for this microphone. Let me tell you something. Okay. Austin, show some respect and put down the microphone and let Sean speak. There's a please. lot of newcomers up on this stage right now that want to tell you guys how it is. And let me tell you something. Austin. 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 All right. Let me tell you how this works. I'm going to be right up front with you because I dealt with Mitch McConnell on this in a KET debate. I was invited as a Republican into the primary debate. I kicked the boys' butts, okay? Mitch McConnell had millions in this race. Matt Bevin, who is now our governor, had millions. I came in third, and I had a website, okay? I came in third behind those guys and, and advanced on the other individuals who were in that primary. When I went to that general debate, Mitch McConnell refused to debate unless they uninvited me, is what they did. They couldn't legally do it because they didn't have any criteria. So what they did, I'm gonna tell you quick, is they begin to make criteria to knock us out. I began to fight on my behalf and on um, the libertarian, uh, oh, our US candidate, I fought on his behalf because I knew he was facing the same thing. And they did not let us in that debate. The Libertarian Party sued them, pulled their emails, and found that they were putting up their criteria to keep us out. The only way to beat them is to beat them in court. Johnson is doing the right thing. I'm planning on, because this is, this is criminal acts, what they're trying to do on I'm doing a pro se lawsuit against the same individual, Johnson, is just so that I can let them know we're not gonna, we're not gonna stop. We're gonna continue to fight you. We're gonna keep doing this and we're not gonna let you put a stand. We're gonna get ourselves in the debate. However, whatever it's gonna take, we're gonna pursue that. And I, that, I'm gonna rest my case with that. Thank you.
I've often said, I, I'm not a you should do it this way libertarian. I'm a this is the way I do it libertarian. So I support everybody's efforts. I support every member of the Libertarian Party from the most radical anarchist abolitionist to the most pragmatic Rand Paul supporter. I appreciate every single uh, uh, contribution that everybody makes to this wonderful party. But I'm different. I look at things differently. For a Libertarian to win the presidency will require a revolution. But revolutions happen. They always seem impossible before they happen, but inevitable afterwards. There's a limit to what we can do. The best we can do is be at the right time, at the right place, with the right message. It's not up to us. An election is not a contest. It's not a race. It's not how fast you run. It's not how many hours you put in. It's a decision. I'm a physician. I'm not here to compete. I'm just offering a second opinion. What we need to do is we need to be there when the people decision, because it's not up to us on this stage. It's up to the voters. But guess what? I think they are almost there. They've got, they've got, but it's not going to come from the, it's not going to come from the Democrats. It's not going to come from the Republicans. It's not going to come from white middle-aged people like us. It's gonna come from the Hispanics and the poor people and the blacks and the other of the 100 million people who have not been voting because they don't feel like they have any power and they don't think that we care about them. So we have to show it, but it's gonna take a change. So how to do it? I'm not gonna do it through hours of work. I think the way we do it is by leveraging what we could do. We need to do a voter registration program to send, to send our, our dedicated activists to the college campuses and to the parades and to the festivals all over this country and to get people to vote. We gotta tell them, we believe in personal empowerment. If you feel that Hillary Clinton is the best for this country, then vote for that liar. If you think that Donald Trump is best, vote for that asshole. But if you disagree, then register your ass and vote. I want to thank all the candidates so far. We're going to go to our uh... Yeah, yeah, thanks. You guys skipped me last time. Something really interesting has started happening. Is kind of the pattern that you can see over here is Governor Johnson just gets a mention, you know, every 10 seconds or so. He's just pretty solid and consistent all the way through. And it's basically been that way all week. Uh, Mr. McAfee gets mentions every time he starts speaking, and someone posts a picture of him with his shirt off, too. That's. <laughs> But something really interesting happened about 20 minutes ago for about 10 solid minutes. Uh, Austin Peterson just got a machine gun of mentions for, I don't exactly know why, and it lasted about 10 minutes and that's, and, and that's it. But it was, it was really impressive and it moved his light blue. If you look at the very tippity top corner, uh, just shot way up. So I thought that was totally interesting. And what, well, we're gonna take a question from Twitter now? Let's take a question. Can you explain our little, uh circle of dots over here. Yeah, so this is this is called the spider the spidey chart and this is like news mainstream news media stories. So what these inner dots represent are a mainstream media source, maybe the New York Times. I could click into it and drill down. And then these secondary are other outlets who picked up that story and then you move down further into the social media and where they're being shared beyond that. We have the ability to drill down into these things, but we could do that later probably. Thanks. 
two questions from Twitter um, for our uh, remaining two candidates. Individual questions for uh, Shauna Sterling and Austin Peterson. This one is for Pastor Sterling. Why should libertarian parents vote for you? Libertarian parents? Yes. Wow. I, I want to ask if there's more to that question. Um, because there's, there's so much that could be said. Um, when I was 12 years old, I started doing outreach in the inner city. And I pastored my first church when, oh, back in 1998 to 2000. I, at that point, I was doing therapeutic foster care. And then, of course, I spent a couple years um, fighting corruption and adopting a little girl. And I have been working with children and families my entire life. So if there's anybody who can advocate for children and families and, and to do it um, for all races, that would, that would be me. There's a church in Houston, Texas. And I don't, you know, go in church here, but... It's called Braisewood, and I would go help out. They asked me to come in as an interim children's pastor. Well, their children are all um, multicultural, and I remember when I did that, when we were talking to children's pastor, we had 200-plus kids, and so that was a mega church. So I love doing outreach in the Libertarian Party. I plan doing outreach, and I'm available, whatever these families have. Um, I just have a little more time. I wanted to say something. This, I've taken some courses in military, I'm understanding military families. And I just thought about this the other day. But we, the Libertarian Party, has an awesome opportunity to reach out to military families. And the reason we do is because we have got all of these um, individual parties all over the states. And I don't know if you're, you're aware of this, because this is brought on to me, but there's a lot of families, a lot of families in our military and our veterans that have, been, have come out and they're feeling isolated. And they just don't have, they're, they're, they're not able to blend back in. And I think if our party was able to take that into consideration and reach out to them, even do maybe a few events, I think that we could be a really awesome place for our military families. And that could actually probably grow our party and help our party round it out. But I just, whatever they would need. People call me for counseling. I just do it. It's free. I do it free because in Kentucky, I'm considered a non-fee pastoral counselor. Thank you. And the last question is for Mr. Peterson. There's been a lot of talk about your personal matter. The most kindly of these statements being that you are off-putting or people say that you rub them the wrong way. How do you respond to these comments? What would you do, if anything, to adjust considering this feedback? It's amazing that a radical and an agitator is not accepted in his own land. <laughs> I am an agitator. I am here to make people uncomfortable. My job is to bring about change. I am a change agent. I'm fighting for the future of this movement. I've been behind the scenes, sat behind and watched too many failures. And I am a winner and I have a winning attitude and I will fight until the last man. I have an army of freedom ninjas in my back that believe me, there are hundreds and thousands of people that I brought here to watch tonight because they believe in me, because they believe that I'm the future of this movement. And if I'm making a few people uncomfortable, it's because I'm letting fires under people's butts because I want some people to get out there and campaign. Because if it's not gonna be me that's at the top of the ticket, I guarantee whoever the nominee may be is gonna be a better man or woman because of my campaign. So I am here to fight and to bring about change. And, and you know what? Prophets are not always accepted in their own lands. 
And so if you do not like me, perhaps you do not like me because of my personality, but my message is pure, pure and clear. I am a child of the revolution. Uh, the revolution continues through AP for LP. The spirit of libertarianism resides in the campaign that I am pushing. And in the future, the country will be different and changed because of the army of freedom ninjas who are on my back, who are watching right now. I love you guys. Thank you. There are no big special interests guiding my campaign, funding me solely. I am totally funded by the grassroots. If you want someone who represents the broad swath of this libertarian movement, it is me. Come talk to me after it. Tell me after you have a conversation with me face to face if you don't like me. If I throw a few fists and a few elbows, well, just think what I'm going to do to Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay, candidates, we're in kind of our last round. This is a speed round. Your responses are limited to 60 seconds. Okay. Um, and we will be alternating questions here. Um, first question is for Dr. Feldman. Um, when I was born, I was given three vaccinations. Today, a baby might be given 37 vaccinations before there are two. What is your medical opinion of the dangers of vaccination? And what are your personal views on government mandated vaccinations? A very intelligent way of structuring the question into two parts, and I'll, I'll answer them both separately. One thing to understand is what vaccinations do is they stimulate an immune response. Every single human being is vaccinated by thousands and thousands of antigens just through our day-to-day -day activities. We're exposed to hundreds of viruses on a regular basis, and we develop immune responses to that. So the reason why vaccination works is because it's, it's not unnatural. It's just facilitating a process that is normal to human beings. Now. The problem is not that people don't trust the vaccinations. The problem is they don't trust their doctors with good reasons. Doctors have not done a good job of representing their people, of, of, of too much uh, connection to the industry. So now the question is, uh, should we mandate vaccines? No. If 90% of people are vaccinated, that gives total, uh, uh, that's the best you can do. So what we need to do is have vaccinations, but, but no government mandate. Thank you. My question is for Governor Johnson. Um, we've talked about owning our personal body, individual human rights. Um, we touched on right to life or pro-life, but we haven't really talked about the right to die. Can you please tell me your opinion on euthanasia? Is there a more fundamental right than being able to end your own life if you so chose to do that? So I guess that was it. That was a quick one. That was easy. <laughs> right on, right on. I love the president. That was excellent. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Packney, uh, given your significant knowledge of computers, can you explain how the government could improve its ability to predict future terrorist attacks? Uh, I, I, well, it could fire all the current technologists in the government. I mean, our, our government, our government uh, is like uh, no one ever gets fired in the government. If you're incompetent, you are promoted. 
such an environment does not promote creativity and innovation, which is what is needed here. Uh, there are algorithms, there are methodologies that could give us giant leaps. It would require totally restructuring our current technology offices. We would not need half as many people, and we would need different kinds of people. Uh, this is why our government is so far behind the rest of the world. Uh, it is bureaucratic, it is stagnant, uh, and managed by sick, tired, old people. Thank you. All right, this one is for Mr. Peterson, from one youngish person to another youngish person. Um, that's been a topic people have talked about a lot with your campaign. The traditional route to the pres presidency usually involves beginning governmental service and then working your way up through the Congress or state level. So you're going around that route. I'm curious as to why running for president and why now? At the end of last year, I was desperate and I saw ourselves bereft of leadership, of someone who would stand strong and carry the torch of libertarianism, pure, clear, honest, with integrity. And I will lift up the sword of righteousness to the American people and remind them of our constitutional republic and what it means. Now, not all public service is the same, but I've served my country and I've served this party. And I've done it for many years. Now, I've not been successful as a Republican. I've been successful as a libertarian. That's an important difference. That's an important difference. I'm not a carpetbagger. I've built this party. Now, I think that I could bring us forward. And listen, lots of, don't, don't hate me because I'm young and pretty. Um, the truth is, is that our country was founded by young people. And if you saw the Stasso debate, you'll, you would realize the truth is, is that on July 4th, 1776, the founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson was 33. Alexander Hamilton was 21. James Madison was 25. The Marquis de Lafayette was 18 years old. Young people founded this country, and young people will restore it. I promise you that. Thank you. Pastor Sterling, uh, Americans have developed a uh, reflexive fear of Muslims in general and Sharia law in particular. Is there a way for us to respect other forms of religious expression while still protecting our American way of life? I had, um, I got accepted into seminary and I actually, and I actually chose not to go. I did my religious studies at the University of Arizona. And I think that was an excellent choice because in that degree, I got to study Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And we, we have a lot of uh, Muslims, a lot of individuals who follow Islam in our country, and they do that from the goodness of their heart, from what is good in their faith. Unfortunately, ISIS has taken extremes of a religion and has played off of it, and really has been a horrendous attack against um, Islam and against the Muslim people. One of the things that I'm very proud of, and um, you won't see this a lot on the internet, but um, I have been working behind the scenes to support our special forces and the role they played with the Kurds. I was one of the early ones who said, arm the Kurds, and they are Muslim. And they have been, since I was one of the first ones that said it, they gave them that money. And I'm telling you, they have been fighting ISIS and they have been taking back these cities. So 
It's just having an open heart and realizing that there's not just extremity in Muslim, in Islam, but also there could be extreme individuals in any religion. question um, for Mr. Feldman, or Dr. Feldman, excuse me, Dr. Feldman. <laughs> so as a doctor, how do you feel that this gives you the experience or contributes to your qualifications to be president? Mostly because of my experience with human beings. Once, I'll tell you, once you've seen human beings from the inside, you realize how similar we all are. We really have a lot more in common than we have different. I'm probably the only person here who's seen abortions up close and personal and seen how brutal they are, as well as probably the only person who's taken care of a woman who's been the victim of an illegal abortion and seen how horrible and terrible that is as well. I can tell you that I've seen a lot of death, and it makes you appreciate life, but it also takes away fear, and fear is a method of control. Once you fear, people can control you, and you'll hear fear up here. John McAfee is afraid of a cyber attack. Gary Johnson has said he's afraid of, uh, of Sharia law. Austin Peterson is afraid of Gary Johnson. <laughs> I'm not afraid of a damn thing. Thank you. Governor Johnson, uh, the Libertarian Party was officially formed on December 14, 1971 in Colorado. In 1972, John Hospers and Tony Nathan, our Libertarian presidential and vice presidential candidates, respectively, were on the ballot in three states, yet they earned the party's first two electoral votes. What has the party accomplished since then, and what do you predict for the Libertarian Party in the future? I think we have the opportunity, and, and I would not be doing this if there if there weren't the opportunity of winning. I, I wouldn't be doing this if that opportunity didn't exist. And in this election, how do you set the table any better than what it's set? You've got Donald Trump is gonna be the nominee, Hillary Clinton is gonna be the nominee. These are the two most polarizing figures in all American politics. Um, look, I think that the vast, Amer the vast majority of Americans are libertarians. Uh, they just don't know it. And the table is set such that people are going to actually know it. I bring up the website, isidewith.com. For everybody here, get online. Take the 36 questions in this political quiz. Tell your friends to take this quiz. In 2012, I was the next president of the United States based on being in line with what most people think. Well, that's libertarian, and that's the opportunity, and let's be thinking win here in November. Mr. McAfee. I have a question for you, Mr. McAfee. So when we look at the government, we hear a lot about asset forfeiture, all kinds of government corruption, government gone um, out of control in many 
ways. So as president, what would you do to rein in corruption in the government? In order to rein in any corruption in any system or even in any individual, you have to first rein in their power. This is just a fundamental truth of life. As governments grow, they get more powerful. And governments are composed of individuals, and all of our weaknesses are expressed through governments and magnified. When individuals become angry, a bloody nose happens. When governments become angry, entire nations are wiped out. When individuals become greedy, we don't invite them to dinner anymore. When governments become greedy, people starve. Entire nations starve. So to, to stamp out corruption, we first have to understand the connection to power and remove the power from the government, for heaven's sake. Thank you. I'd like you to define the universe and give three examples, please. <laughs> I'm just messing <laughs> My real question is a little tough. <laughs> that was a good I wore a white shirt and tie for all eight years of grade school. Now, children buy blue jeans with holes already in them. Many of our children graduate from high school functionally illiterate and they have no significant grasp of history. How are young people gonna help us restore liberty if they can't look away from their iPhones long enough to cross the street? Well, first of all, first of all, technology frees us all. Technology is freeing people in other nations. We, let's get out of our American bias here. There's a revolution going on in Brazil right now. And do you know how old the leader of that revolution is, that young libertarian? He's 21 years old, and he's doing it with his iPhone. So don't tell me that young people can't bring about change in this country, because we can. And don't tell me that we don't love our country because we wear blue jeans, because we're a hell of a lot cooler than our parents ever were. And our music is better, too. Listen, we started at the bottom, now we're here. Young people are going to lead this country back to a limited government, and we're going to do it with our phones. You know, how am I competing with these frontrunners? You know how I'm doing it? I'm doing it with my iPhone right now. They're donating. They're spreading the word. The revolution continues. So I don't have much time. Come talk to me afterwards. I could tell you incredible stories about my, my life and my journey as a libertarian. And I guarantee you that if you put me at the top of your ticket, you will be proud to be a libertarian. And the young people will come will flock to our banner because liberty unites us, it doesn't divide us. And some old people can come along too if they want. But just John, only John's allowed to come along. <laughs> only John's allowed to come along. Well, he's cool. He's, yeah, John's cool. So. Yeah, I, I thought he was, well, I thought he was texting women this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, last question is for you, Shauna. Um, as a pastor, as the president, how would you encourage and continue to keep church and state separate? Hey, <laughs> you guys get excited for it. Do you want me? I'll go ahead and speak. Um, this is this is the thing. The Constitution is very clear on this. We have the religious rights. It doesn't matter how we want to worship, where we want to worship, when we want to worship. That is our rights, and the U.S. government cannot cannot take that right away from us. Now, as far as religious 
Oh, crosses or religious, different things that are special to religions. You never know what some might think is special. They might want to put it on a government building or put a picture up or something. I honestly believe that the federal government, pursuant to our U.S. Constitution, they have no right to limit them. It is up to the governments, the states, the states, and the people to decide what they want to put up. So the federal government needs to stay out, and then they also should not violate any of the religious rights of our people. As long as your religious right doesn't tell you, your God doesn't tell you to go kill an American citizen, then that's, that's not a religion that, that we protect. Everybody can take a deep breath. We've come to the end of our questions. We have your closing statements. You have two minutes to summarize your campaign and make your last appeal to the, the delegates and the voters. Again, we'll go in uh, original order. Dr. Feldman. Well, as I said, is uh, I think we have to try a lot of different things. We have to try our message in, in different ways to find out what resonates, because it used to be that the medium was the message. Today, the message has become the medium. A uh, fellow can take a video of his little kid in the backseat after the dentist all stoned out. 150 million people all over the world can see it without a dollar of promotion. So uh, I'm going to try poetry. So. Break These Chains and Fly by Mark Feldman. I'm Mark Allen Feldman. I'm an Ohio resident. I'm telling you why I'm running for president. I'm getting old, but I'm still bold. I got no fear because my blood runs cold. I'm never bought and I'll never get sold. My answers were slave too. That's why I can represent you because I'm a libertarian Jew. Republicans and Democrats are whack. They spend billions of dollars just to attack. We've been slaves and we're not going back. Libertarians are fresh and dope. We don't care who you marry, what you carry, or what you smoke. So give a libertarian your vote, because billionaires will never care for a country that's broke. They say you have to flash the cash to make it splash. They promise you everything to dine and dash. I don't buy it, and I won't try it. The government's too fat. Let's put it on a diet. The bureaucracy's supposed to work for us. They promised all the pork for us, but they don't do squat for us. No more oppression or deep depression, no apologies, and no confessions. A time of defiance and self-reliance. They think we're small, but we're like giants. We may lose, but before we die, we gotta break these chains and fly. Poor education, that's humiliation, discrimination, and brutalization. Inflation and taxation bring inner city evacuation. Dislocation, stagnation, and mass incarceration, and most welfare is for the corporations. These are the 10 plagues that affect our nation. John F. Kennedy had the remedy till he was killed by the enemy. The assassinations rocked our nation, started a terrible conflagration. But he hadn't lied when he prophesied, because what he said was simply incredible. Those who make peaceful revolution impossible make violent revolution inevitable. Thank you, Doctor. you want to see another Stossel debate, then, then go ahead and put your tokens in for these three candidates. When it comes to our meeting in Orlando, Florida, 
these guys, they've got, they've got people campaigning for them already. Some of their trips are paid for. They're going to get those 30 delegates. They're, they're going to get them. Austin will get them. McAfee, he's popular. He'll get them. Johnson's got them all ready to go. But some of these other candidates up here, like Dr. Feldman, like myself, we need, we need these, we need, the, we need to, you guys to have some faith in us. Get us on that debate. Get us in the debate. Unless you want to just see the same three candidates, get us in the debate. Give us a chance. Don't you want to see what we got to offer? Give us a chance and we will fight for the LP party and we will go ahead and give, um, take it as far as we can go. So we need your help. Please remember that. Remember our names and help us get into that debate. I need you guys, I really do, okay? Stossel actually reached out uh, for um, um, our response or our input on these debates, and uh, my input was is include more libertarian candidates in the debate. That was my response. <laughs> there is a general election that's going to follow the nomination for libertarian candidates. Um, New Mexico has the highest percentage Hispanic population of any state in the United States. I've been asked repeatedly, how did you reach out and get the Hispanic vote? I didn't do anything to get the Hispanic vote. What I say here is the same thing I say before every And I will have to tell you that it resonates with every single audience. Um, I don't believe that a third party can get elected without being in the presidential debates. We have the opportunity of being in the presidential debates and whomever you nominate has the opportunity to spread this message. I also want you to know that experience does count. So I was very disappointed with the results in 2012. I thought that they would have been a lot higher. But I have to tell you that right now, we're not starting off where we left off. We're much further along than where we left off. This is an historic opportunity to change politics in America and to see something that has never, ever happened before, but it's got the opportunity right now. I ask you for the nomination, and I pledge to you, none of you will be disappointed with the work ethic that will go along with making a victory possible. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have a rendezvous with destiny. And we can decide whether or not we will try what we've tried before, or if we'll try something new. I believe that I'm the only candidate on this stage who can put together a broad national coalition of libertarians, conservatives, reasonable Democrats, and independents to win. <clears throat> there are conservatives who are reaching out to us, to our campaign, people who who have uh, run fleeing from the GOP specifically because they had, the only problem that they had with the libertarian was that they weren't pro-life. So on a national stage, while this might harm me in my primary, this is very good for us in the general election. And this will allow us to build a much larger coalition of these conservatives who will not support Donald Trump. When it comes to those reasonable Democrats, 
I have advocated for a full end to the war on drugs. I have advocated for a full end to crony capitalism. I would never, ever, ever force someone to bake a cake for someone they don't believe in because I believe in religious freedom. The issues of monopoly and of economics are that they bear out towards the libertarian viewpoint. If you want the United States to be a freer, more prosperous country, then you have to argue for libertarian economics because the laws of supply and demand will catch up with you. I am steeped in the arcane lore of libertarianism. I will bring the message of Mises to the masses. I love Mises to pieces. <laughs> and I consider myself very much a Hayekian of spontaneous order. I am a warrior for this cause. We don't come around very often, the liberty champions. But when we do, I hope that you will understand that the abrasiveness that you might see is not out of a disdain for my fellow man. It is out of a, out of a fear of a loss of liberty. And so I'm fighting for our cause now. And I ask for your vote and your support of the National Convention in Orlando. I will make you proud to be a libertarian, and I will bring you a victory because I've been winning every day for the last 10 years, and I'll keep on winning for you. So please vote for me. Thank you. <laughs> the older I get, the less I know. But I do know this, that every prerequisite we set for ourselves for success is merely a barrier to that success, and it will become an excuse when we fail. This is the fact. There is only one prerequisite for us here and now, and that is conviction. Conviction. Not just belief, but conviction, that thing that grows from your heart, which you know is true and manifests itself in the world. What creates a revolutionary? What separates a revolutionary from the average citizen? It is conviction. That thing that makes you stand up to impossible odds and take any suffering that comes because you have a duty to yourself and to your children and to everyone in this society. Everyone. Everyone. I'm not asking you to, to go in and out of jail with me. Jail is not for everyone. <laughs> It's an acquired taste. <laughs> but, but if you have conviction in these simple, beautiful, magical things, the precepts of this party, then please, those of you who go out and get voter registrations, God bless you. God bless you. That is what gives the party this power. We need nothing else but access and our hearts and the conviction that we are doing right Again, it is for your children. It is for your children because when you do not stand up, when you're afraid, then you have put that fear and that burden on your child. You do not have that right. We do not have that right. Thank you. Wow. Wow.
I've been, been back following Twitter, guys. If you're not following, this is unbelievable. You have to see what some of these tweets are saying, that this is what a debate is supposed to be like. You guys just schooled everybody on how this is supposed to be done. Thank you very much. All right. I, I want to certainly thank our candidates one more time, Dr. Feldman, Pastor Sterling, Governor Johnson, Mr. Peterson, and Mr. Mackey. Let's also thank our moderators, Jack Spinkle, Michael Bonarek. There you go. I just have a, a quick announcement. Uh, there is a private screening of Peace Officer at 10.30 at the Doubletree. It is a very unlibertarian free event. So uh, please uh, attend and have a great night. We'll see you at the rest of the convention. Thank you very much. Have a great night. If you have a question about this board and want to come learn some more about it, come on up as well. We'll be answering questions. Folks, we just finished up with the Libertarian presidential debate in San Antonio, Texas. Ed Kless was the MC of the event, as he is the whole convention. And now we're going to have an opportunity to interview for roughly eight to ten minutes every one of the five candidates who was on the stage tonight involved in the debate. So really looking forward to this. Well, Ron, what do you think? I thought it was great. <laughs> I thought it was great did a fantastic job with our candidates and it really did there's some really interesting questions that come out of all this i think yeah i yeah. well any, anything jumped to your mind as uh, what, what 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 as to, to to differences between this debate and what we saw with the democrats and republicans uh i i thought this debate was more substantive i yeah, mean of course you know right. as you would expect right, with well right. with five candidates versus 17 but even even now that the field's been narrowed, I still think it's more substantive. Um, and of course, I'm, I like some of the people that were mentioned. Right, right. Mises, Hayek, I mean, yeah. how can you not appreciate <laughs> people that, you know, make rhymes out of that? Yeah, uh, folks that we, we, you know, we talk about on our radio show all the time. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good, pretty good deal. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really looking forward to having the chance to interview these guys. Yep, yep, I think it'll be fun. So did you, Again, we, we it was clearly different from the, the tenure. I mean, I think that that one of the things that I noticed about libertarianism is that the folks are we're always we really do talk about principle more than anything in any other party. Yeah, and first principles. First principles. First exactly. principles. Exactly. So. <laughs> Yeah, we're just getting, trying to get the candidates lined up here, folks. We're live on the convention floor, so this is a, a little bit chaotic. A little bit chaotic, but <laughs> lots, lots of stuff going on. So we're we're we got our wrangler, wranglers going. 
And uh, so, yeah, we're going to talk to them in order that they spoke. So we should, first up would be Dr. Feldman, Dr. Feldman which right. we clearly need to ask him about the, his, his, his rap at the end there. That was awesome. That was great, yes. He finished Closing up with poetry. Statement. Yeah, well, was it was good. poetry. It was, it was kind of it was rap. A rap. It, it was, was a, rap. a rap. It was a rap. Yeah, yeah that's but, true. Well, you know, he, I don't know if you're aware, and this is a question that I'm going to ask when he gets back. He's, he's asked Kanye West to be his, his running mate. Oh, really? Yeah, true story. Oh, yeah, wow. we, and that's well, we Kanye to... says he's going to run for president himself uh, in 2020. Well, you know, maybe he'll be VP this time. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> now, that would I set him up. I, now, I, that's what I'm going to ask him is, you know, did uh, how, how has, Kanye, has, has Kanye responded at all? So, so. Has he asked him yet? Yeah, no, it, well, it's, it's public, uh, you know, public information. He, he, he called him out on Twitter and Facebook. To, to, oh, okay, yeah. okay. But, I, but, but I, what I don't know is whether or not that uh, he's responded if he's responding or not so we'll we'll have to see excellent excellent and one of the candidates austin Peterson just walking by here but we'll we'll get well, i believe we'll get him up in just a little bit can you move my mic up the volume Vo- volume what do you need my- uh, a volume up my volume up on yours okay. yeah yeah all right. good 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 yep it- no we can do that all right okay yep all right. Uh, yeah, a lot of background noise, I'm sure, but we'll stay close to the microphone. We'll have to ask our guests okay. to do the same. So, <laughs> yep, we're ready. Just giving the thumbs up to our executive producer here, Don Youngs, who's doing a great job here at the convention. You're, so, is, your, is this your first political convention, Ron? Period. Have you ever been to a political I convention? I have been. I have been. Um, um, I, I, uh, I, I like um, not convention. I guess it would be my first convention. Certainly not my first political event. No, right, right. I, I've been to like you know the the fundraising events for congressmen or whatever. Right, right. I, I've seen uh, cabinet members speak at certain you know events, things like that. But no, first party convention. Yeah. I thought that one of the things I thought about uh, the debate was a little bit weak on foreign policy. And I think we'll ask some questions on that. I didn't think there was ma- as many questions on foreign policy as there. Could yeah, have that been. didn't come up till the end, did it? Right. Right. Um, so we can ask ask some things on that. And really, it was just, just basically about you know ISIS and that kind of stuff. It wasn't right. Some you know, of the religious questions. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Kind of as a so we'll, we'll we'll ask a little bit about that. Uh, we are following along on on Twitter. Certainly, if you are listening to this debate live, hashtag Liberty Now. And also, if you want to include hashtag Ask T S O E. That's Ask T S O E. We will make sure to pay attention to specifically to those questions if you've got any live questions that you want us to pass along to the candidates. So hopefully yep. we'll be getting one of them shortly. I see a couple people get, walking by. Yeah, Jeffrey Tucker's over there. Yes, yes, uh, yes. One yes. of my favorite col- libertarian columnists. Yes, in, in, in bow tie and what is that kind of hat? Yeah, right? that's a straw, yeah. straw hat? Yeah, and so, very yeah. nice. Yep. Well done. I was just reading the Freeman on the airplane on the flight out here in one of his articles on Henry Hazlitt. Oh, really? Yeah, really, really interesting. Fantastic. So good stuff. Well, we we'll get a chance to meet with him. I think we're having having lunch with him. Tomorrow. Oh, good. Yeah, right? yeah, that's right. That's right. Tomorrow, right? With, tomorrow with mm-hmm. uh, Jeff uh, Davies. Jeff Deist. Uh, Deist, right? Deist. 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 Yeah. Deist. 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 Yeah, we'll we'll have to find that out. And I'm I'm pretty sure since he said it, it's it's uh, McAfee. Tonight. McAfee, so, okay. McAfee, because there were some people saying McAfee, but I think it's <laughs> McAfee. So we'll, we'll, we'll be sure to, to get clarity on that. So. 
anyway. But I thought I thought all of them did really well. I thought that, like you said, the substance was was there across the board. The questions were very much alignment. I, like I said, I only only wish we had more on foreign policy, but really well done. Good sense of humor on for for everyone. Oh yeah, a lot of great singers back yeah. and forth. And, yeah. and and there was some conflict too, which you want to see in a debate. Right. It would be boring right? otherwise, it, it right? There's be. there's yeah. clearly some differences. Uh, you know, Austin, I think the only only candidate who's clearly pro life. Um, yep. But I, I want to ask him a little bit about that too. So, but that that well, the, Feldman was pro-life, wasn't he? Um, you know, he didn't. I didn't. Don't know if he said. He, exactly. he did. He did allude to he's seen abortions up close right, and how horrific right, they are. Right. I think he is pro-life. Yeah. Well, have, well, we'll ask him directly because I don't know if that came out any any specific question. So we'll find that out. So. All right. Well, let's see here. I'm trying to see if we can track down someone here for the the a lot of pictures being taken yeah, here on the floor. <laughs> so, what, for those of you not seeing this, there's this crazy social media board too that I that was amazing. Yeah, pretty that cool. That was really stuff. cool. So we're hoping you're you're following along out there on uh, hashtag Liberty Now. That's the convention. I like all the, uh, the 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 graph of the stories on the in the mainstream press about this event. Yes, exactly. And they can exactly. drill down on it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> pretty good stuff. So, but uh, any anything else jump out at you, Ron? That, that was about yeah. just overall tenure of the debate. You know, um, no. Other than again, I, I thought it was very substantive. I thought they made you know points based on the Constitution and and separation of powers and and there were questions about the Second Amendment and um, they all defended the Second Amendment. I thought. Quite, quite cogently, you know. So uh, I real, I just really like the whole first principles thing, going back to freedom and liberty, and that, and that theme. Right. Outstanding. All right. We have now joining us, Pastor Sterling. Uh, you never need to put the headset on. Let me just make sure we get you logged up here. Can you hear us a little bit now? Oh yeah, that's perfect. All right. Good. Good. Well, welcome to the show. Oh, we're, I loved it. We're, we're glad. So, what do, what do you think? Oh, it was. It, this, I know I shouldn't say this, but this was the best, funnest debate that I've been to so far, and I've been all over the country. Texas is is awesome. I love it. Well, we think so. Well, I think so. Ron, my friend here is from California. I'm but, California. Hey, I was born in Long Beach, California, so okay. what can I say? Okay. I'm in Northern California. Okay, okay. So what have you learned on the campaign trail? What, oh. What's been something that's really jumped out at you that you've learned? You know, uh, libertarians are so diverse. Mm. I'm just amazed. It's like... I have, I think the ones who are most attracted to talking to me are anarchists. Okay. <laughs> and then because they're like, you're a Christian, how can you, not, not even a Christian, but how can you, you believe in God, how can you be a libertarian and believe in God and, and all this stuff. And I'm just like, well, you know, I, I believe that an individual, that God, you know, I, I go into more detail, I don't know how much detail you want me to go here, but I could say, you no, know, God created humanity, created us to learn, and, and he's not looking over our shoulder everything we do. He wants us to fall and to get up and, and to do this in life. And when the government, when anybody else tries to confine you and enslave you, that's not, that's not what God wanted for humanity in the first place. We need to make these falls. We need to have our independence so we can become stronger. You know, I guess God, you did, the answer could be God's a libertarian. <laughs> I'm, I'm not joking. I really, God has, I, I can say without a doubt, God has led me to this party, and I'm so grateful that he has. I love it. Outstanding. Yeah. Well, uh, 
what did what was the you know, the key moment for you of the debate tonight? What what did you what what, what was what was what was the key thing for you? I gotta be nice, but I can't. It was it was Peterson trying to not let me talk, and then <laughs> I have just had it. We have gone into it, and we're gonna have another debate. I think it's just the both of us, and I don't know what's gonna go down. Oh really? This is gonna be in Miami Dade, Florida. It's just pretty. We're both the two on the list right now. It's, right. I don't know if it's just the young blood, you know, we're, um, I'm not as young as him, but we just, we just go at it. We really do. <laughs> well, that's, that's good, though. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Ron, what do you got? Uh, Pastor, how, how do you, how did you get to libertarianism? I know you said God brought, brought you to it, but what books or authors or thinkers also helped in that journey? You know, it was just really libertarians. It was David Patterson when he filed his case, um, to try and get us, get himself in the debate. He saw my name and the emails defending him, and then he saw them attacking us. That was one thing, but then there was another man, and he was a libertarian, and I just found him. He did these raps for cars, and I wanted him to do cool rap for me, and I loved his work. He just had this really creative niche, and I loved it. And then I started talking to him, and he asked me all these questions. He he go, you don't sound like a Republican. And I said, but I was raised Republican. He said, you sound like a libertarian. And when he said that, I just felt like, you know what? I have never felt at home in these other parties. And I started looking to the Libertarian Party. And it's like, as soon as I got planted in it, I just had all these roots growing. I love it. Well, you, you answered this question on, on stage tonight, but just, just for the purpose of our audience who might be joining us late, what is a non-fee? Okay. So what a non-fee pastoral counselor is, yeah. is someone who has all the credentials. Basically, I have all the credentials. All I do, do is, all I could do is take another exam, and then I could actually get paid. People, I could counsel people, and through their insurances, I could actually get paid. I choose not to do that because um, I have more flexibility. I can counsel whoever I want to counsel. I'm not tied down to to anything really as a non I just can't accept any money <laughs> so it's non-fee just means I can provide counseling I don't even have to do traditional counseling you know like in a room setting sitting down I can just people call me out of nowhere and say can you pray for me this happened and you know, they just start talking and I just whatever situation they're in is what I I just try and help them through so who's your, gonna be your VP choice I have a couple people in mind. Two of them are on the stage tonight, okay. and I can't say who they are okay. <laughs> because I have been watching them throughout for the last month in debates. I've still got two months to go, and I, I, you know, when I ask them some tough questions when I'm on the spot, I'm doing it because I'm trying to see who I could run with. I need someone who can. I went, if I can get this nomination, I'm going to go nonstop. I'm going to go nonstop and meet with all the state churches saying, what percentages do you need? What does this state need? And then I'm going to design a whole campaign to make sure they get the percentages they need. But we also run to win the White House. And I need someone who can campaign with me nonstop until that last vote is in in November. Pastor, what would be the first thing you did as president? As president, I love our U.S. Constitution. I would go in there and I would abolish every program, everything that's... Um, is not required by the U.S. Constitution, and that would take a huge burden off of taxes and, and all the stuff. Everything would go. Um, even, you know, with our military, I love our military, but I've been, I've been educated on this. I said, I want to support the military because I love them. But I've been educated on this by other libertarians saying there's a lot of stuff 
that they're paying for that is not um, that they don't need. We don't need for our safety, and I'm going okay. If it's if it's not required by the U.S. Constitution, it's going to go because that's what our agreement is under the U.S. Constitution. These people trying to get Americans to pay for all this stuff. It's it's what's that saying that everybody's saying? You know, what is it? It's tax. It's um. Come on, you guys. You, everyone should know this because I see it all the time. My mind is just stuff with a um um. Uh, it's it's like taxes, like illegal or taxes. Taxes theft. Taxes theft. Yes. So you wouldn't uh, eliminate see, the military. See, wait, wait, oh you, no. You well, just shrink okay, it. Okay, but, but shrink it. One of our uh, Gary Johnson the other day said he wants to get uh, an AUMF to go after to, to, to the military an authorization for war. I am a totally against that, especially under Obama. He's proved to be a traitor to this nation, and if he and that's why I've been fighting for him not to get this AUMF because he wants to send twenty, thirty thousand of our troops. I won't use our troops. We don't need we don't need that many troops. I like to work with our well, I work with our special forces. Right. Well, we have a, a last question that we're going to ask all, sure. all of our guests, and that is. <laughs> Who is a hero of yours, and why are they a hero? Oh, you know, I'm going to say um, my mom. My mom's been my best friend. She, she actually, I love her so much, but she's actually looked at me, and she's actually going for Trump. But she said, you're a woman. <laughs> you can't be a president. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I'm going, okay. So, you know, I am working on the hardest voter here, my own mom. But I love her because and she, she's an ordained minister, too. So, you know, I've been raising a really conservative family, and I'm the one that's fucking the system over here. I'm right. a libertarian. And so, little by little, first I told her I was going to join, join the Libertarian Party. She's like, no, you can't do that, Republican, Republican. But you know what? Now she's like, oh, the hell is that debate going? And she's talk, asking me more about it. So I'm winning her over to this party. Awesome. Well, awesome. thanks for being a You're great welcome. guest. Thank right. you so much, Pastor. You're Take welcome. Care. All right. Pastor Thomas Sterling, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. I love it. Thank you. All right, Ron. Got another candidate coming in here. Right. That was great. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Pastor Sterling. Well, oh yeah, yeah. Just we're, 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 we're working out. We're giving we're giving out copies of our book to everybody. You can get on Amazon right now. But uh, well, that was interesting. She wouldn't eliminate the military, but she'd greatly shrink it. Right. So, but, yeah. she, but she would get a, rid of a lot of departments coming in on her first day. I love that. Right. Very interesting that, that uh, she also felt that that, that uh, taxation is theft, though. So yeah. In, in yeah. alignment with that. So, awesome. All right. Sitting down at the microphone now, hey. Governor Gary Johnson. Get the headset there on go. there. Welcome, Governor. Hey, thanks. Well, what a great turnout. I, wow. I thought it was a fabulous event. So Excellent. Great job, by the way. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> so my first question for you, and uh, you and I met briefly in 2012, and you said something to me the first time we met, and it has stuck with me ever since, and I, I continue to use it as, as, a, as a county chair, and that is, the first thing you said, thank you for your activism. And I want to tell you that that has really stuck with me, and I really appreciate it, because I think it's it's the perfect compliment to all of these folks who share. To everybody, to yes, everybody. To, everybody. to everybody. To everybody who's here. Thank to you for your activism. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. absolutely fantastic. Anyway, what what's the, what's the difference that you're sensing from 2012 to 2016? What do you see? Well, just, just the fact that we have the two most polarizing figures in all of American politics uh, that at the end of the day, I think, represent 30% of the electorate. And that's where we're at. And uh, uh, last week, my name appeared for the first time in a national poll. And 
you know, I've never had issue with being at 15% uh, in the polls to be in the presidential debates. What I've had issue with is not being in the polls. So if the name, if, if they will continue to include my name or whoever the liberty, presumptive libertarian nominee is, um, we're going to be at 15% and we're going to be in the presidential debates. Uh, Doctor uh, or Governor Johnson, what would, how would you answer the? Do businesses have a right to discriminate against anybody? Not so, just religion, race, creed, color. Well, now whatever. you're now you're asking a different question that I got asked. What I got asked is, should you be able to uh, discriminate on the basis of religion? And I think what we're not, I think as libertarians, what we're not understanding is, is that it's not allowed to discriminate. We would actually have to pass legislation allowing for discrimination on the basis of religion. Going back to the Civil War, um, businesses right after the Civil War discriminated against blacks using religion as an excuse. Um, so I just want to apply the same principles with regard to a person should be able to discriminate uh, to the person on the other side of the counter of the customer. Customer. And, right. and in this case, um, I don't think we should be associated. I am not personally going to be associated with discrimination uh, of any sort. And you do talk of discrimination on the basis of religion. You talked now a twofold question. Should you be able to discriminate on the basis of not wearing shoes or, or that you stink? Um, yes, and there are other dis other reasons for discrimination also, but not religion. I fully believe that if we pass legislation allowing for discrimination, and this would be the libertarian part, or some within the libertarian party that would want to promote this kind of legislation, I, I believe right now in America that a quarter of all businesses would discriminate against Muslims because that would be the safe thing to do. And I don't want to be associated with, I'm not your guy, uh, if you want to stand, if you want someone to stand up and support legislation allowing discrimination. I'm, I'm not your guy. Would it be okay, though, for Muslims to discriminate against, say, a homosexual couple? No. Based on their religious faith? No. And, and another, um, I mean, you, you have no idea how much, uh, how much this issue has uh, really just bombarded us. And you know what? I don't mind that. I don't mind talking about philosophy. But um, in no case is a business owner required. The, the cake shop owner is under no obligation to decorate the cake. The cake shop owner is compelled to sell the cake. You see that? I mean, yeah, this yeah. is very nuanced, but <laughs> this is where this has gotten yeah, it is. for me. Yeah. Yes. And in no case has there ever been a court case saying, look, I walked, I walked into the cake shop, and I'm using this as an example that doesn't exist, but I walked into the cake shop, they, they sold me the cake, but they wouldn't decorate the cake. Well, that's, that's allowed. That has never, that, that has gone unquestioned. So can a person effectively just uh, can a person effectively discriminate against someone on the basis of their religion? I think that they can, but if you put that into law, um, then you're condoning discrimination on the basis of religion. And like I say, I'm I'm not your guy. What's your preferred plan to reform the tax code? 
preferred plan is to uh, abolish income tax, abolish corporate tax. Um, I, this, of course, Congress would have to go along with this. So abolishing corporate tax and income tax and replacing it with nothing, I'm your guy. I think I could make that stick. Uh, but I don't think Congress is going to pass that. They may pass abolishing income tax, corporate tax, um, the IRS, uh, and replacing it with one federal consumption tax. If they were to do that, I suggest um, that you use the fair tax, and there is no fair tax, all right? There's no fair tax, but the, the parentheses fair tax as a template for how you would actually dot the I's and cross the T's to accomplish one federal consumption tax. And we could go into the nuances of that, but uh, really they cover every base. Uh, that's uh, repealing the 16th Amendment, allowing for income tax in the first place. It is abolishing the IRS, and if all these things don't take place, then uh, you, you're not going to have a national consumption tax. I do believe if we had zero corporate tax in this country that, that tens of millions of jobs would get created because why would you start up, grow a, a business anywhere in the world other than the United States given zero corporate tax? Hey, what's the status of the lawsuit? Status of the lawsuit is, and maybe you guys have heard this, maybe you haven't, but Bruce Fine is, is, is suing the Presidential Debate Commission. We signed onto the lawsuit, we paid for the lawsuit. Bruce Fine's claim to fame is that he brought Nixon down in Watergate. In the next sentence, he will tell you that this is the biggest thing that he has done in his life, the debate against the presidential lawsuit. I don't know about you guys, but that's putting it in some pretty serious context. And we're suing on the grounds of antitrust legislation. The Democrats and Republicans collude with one another to exclude everybody else. And we also think that the media um, also is part of this. So oral arguments get heard in approximately three weeks. This will get heard timely. Uh, it will, the decision will come down before the debates. And uh, for that reason, the Supreme Court could well weigh in on this. And our contention is, is that if you're on the ballot in enough states to mathematically be elected, then you should be included in the presidential debates. In 2012, that would have included the Green Party and the Libertarian Party. We are suing on behalf of Jill Stein and the Green Party. They didn't put a penny into it, but it was the right thing to do. Okay, two quick questions, because I think one's really fast. Judge Gray again, your, non, your, your VP choice. Well, first of all, Jim, Jim is impeccable reputation, impeccable reputation, impeccable integrity, honest. Um, yeah, he will step in and do this, but he's also uh, of the mindset that if this actually, if this actually takes off, and that would be at 15 plus percentage points in the polls to where I actually got uh, consulted on the issues of the day by everybody. If that happens, there could be some really interesting people that come out of the woodwork uh, and potentially want to run as the VP. The idea here is, is that the VP is somebody that needs to step in if in fact I do get elected. And by the way, I'm talking with my kids the other night and they like, Dad, are you really, you know, you might just get elected. I mean, that's, I mean, this is, this yeah. is the situation right now. And Jim Gray would be an individual that could step in and do this, and no one would have issue with him because of his honesty, because of in his integrity. Last question, who's a hero of yours and why are they a hero? 
You know, my my heroes have been, I, I guess, I guess local um, growing up, and uh, it would be this combination of athletics and entrepreneurism and uh, family. Um, those and those are, like I say, in my life, there are a lot of those people, but they are my heroes. Great, Governor Johnson. Thanks for being on the show. All thank right, you, thank you guys. Thank you, Austin Peterson. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. What a night, huh? Oh, man, exciting. <laughs> job, by the way. Thank you very much. They keep talking about how young I am, but, uh, uh, well, you know, I've been around for a long time, guys. I, <laughs> you know, I got some, I got some grays. You're yeah, right, you're right like, about the young people changing the world. It's yeah. always people below 40. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're the ones who are going out there fighting the wars. You know, Absolutely. we're the ones out on the front lines. We're the, they're the ones doing all the inventions, the innovations. I the... carried petitions for this party. I've put people on the ballot. I've consulted with uh, candidates. You know, I'm the, only ca I'm the only presidential candidate right now that has inspired other people to come out and run for office, specifically because of my campaign. So uh, call Stuart Flood, the state chair of South Carolina, and ask him to confirm it, because nobody, nobody else is inspiring people to run. I'm inspiring the next generation, and I think that I deserve this because... Not only have I served the party faithfully, but I've served the movement faithfully. And because I think I've got the right ideas that can win. And what victory looks like, we don't always know. But I have been successful as a libertarian. Big L libertarian, successful. And that's a big difference because it's not just somebody who came along and was like, oh, hey, I was a Republican or I was a Democrat like some of the others. I've always been a libertarian and uh, unapologetically so. And I think that's what we need is someone who is unapologetic, who understands the law and understands economics. Um, and that's what makes me unique is I'm the only one up here who is pushing free market Austrian economics, who even knows what that is, uh, and, and who knows how that's applied in the realm of public policy. That's what makes me unique. In fact, in our, our show opening, we were talking about this. And, uh, we were talking about the Railroad Commission in the state of Texas, and yeah. it has nothing to do with railroads. And, <laughs> and the opening line was, as well, it's like Austrian economics. It has nothing to do with the economics of Austria. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, listen, I want to uh, let, let, let's get into a substantive issue here. And I thought, and one of the things that Ron observed as we were talking is how how deep we got into some great issues tonight up on the stage. And and the the abortion issue came up because it's the one that different you, I think, from the other candidates right now. And you mentioned something about RU486, and I wanted to pick your brain on it. You said you would not ban that. Right, because I can't, because if I'm ending the war on drugs, then theoretically you could take what you I like. Understood. So there, there's the balance. But that that is an abortative, right? You're aware an of abortive fashion. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not quite sure, because the reality is I'm, I'm not a scientist and I'm not a doctor. I have to come up with what I think is the most libertarian policy. Uh, and, and so, you know, in order for me to ban something like that, I have to create an authoritarian-style tyrannical government. Mm. So the, the truth is, is that while I guess I am pro-life, I have to be very careful about the type of, of unintended consequences that could come about as a result also but I do believe that we should be morally pro-life because no one's pro-abortion uh, you know my little sister's life was saved because of some of the laws that made it illegal after the second trimester to abort a child if my little if if those laws didn't exist my little sister wouldn't be here my little nephew wouldn't be here the love of my life and you know there are a lot of people who are walking around right now that were almost aborted that would be that are glad to be alive uh, and uh, liberty requires life and uh, we should be morally pro-life and find ways to end abortions the most that we can. But you know what? It's personal responsibility, you know, that, does, that should come into play. I, I remember Ronald Reagan saying everybody who's pro-abortion has already been born. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, 
Ron Paul convinced me on this. They say, no one thinks that you that a, a fully alive child that is removed from the womb should be thrown in a bucket, uh, such as the story that he is told that he saw in medical school. That is a crime, a horrendous crime, uh, and we should look to for ways to protect lives. Uh, and I believe that we should find opportunities to save lives, ending the one women to purchase birth control over the counter. That's one non-coercive way that we can do it. Uh, but I'm not going to stand up on stage and say that I'm a libertarian and say that I believe in anything else than, than the virtue and the righteousness and the goodness of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that includes all lives, including the unborn. Would you go as far as the libertarian writer Thomas Saws and, and legalize all drugs? Yes, I would, absolutely, yeah. But the, actually, the, when you say legalize, you're talking about regulate. So uh, I actually like the idea of decriminalization even more. Simply right, yeah. I just, you know, because here's the problem. The power to tax is the power to destroy. So when you start taxing drugs, which is what happens, they start putting, like, uh, in Washington State, I think it's like a 40% tax. So you're effectively criminalizing it when you tax it in such a way. So it ha not only do drugs have to be legal, but they have to be, have low taxes or no taxes uh, because, again, if you you tax something so that people can't have access to it because they can't afford it, you're still creating the black market. Even after alcohol prohibition, they didn't have taxes on alcohol for a few years specifically to kill the black market. So um, remember, the, the uh, problem with the war on drugs isn't just that um, that they're illegal. The problem is, too, is that when they are legal, they are taxed so heavily that it, the black market still thrives. You mentioned the balanced budget amendment, and I just wanted to ask you, what I learned from Milton Friedman is the cost of government's not the deficit, it's spending. I, I rather live in a government that, that was a trillion dollars in debt but spent two trillion rather than a government that spent eight trillion but with a balanced budget. Correct. Is, is the balanced budget the wrong metric? Shouldn't we be going after reducing government spending as a share of GDP? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I'm gonna. I'm I'm the type of person who's very pragmatic and is gonna fight a fight where I can win it. Uh, but I still think that in terms of cutting overall government spending, I think we're gonna be better off. But in terms of uh, the the reality is, is we're gonna have to have growth. That's what nobody really talks about is the question of are we gonna be able to grow our way out of it? Because we we right at the moment we can't grow ourselves out of what we have right now with our current regulatory structure. So if you want to talk about what is going to actually get us out of debt, you're going to have to have economic growth. And, you know, the GDP is socialist because it includes government spending as a percentage of the overall economy, and that's a problem. If you take a, a bucket of um, and you go to a pool and you dip it into one end of the pool and you dip it and you dump it in the other end, have you increased the overall volume in the pool? No, you've not. So the question is, is uh, are we actually getting real statistics and numbers in terms of our spending and our growth, uh, or are we using the government's uh, statistics? And the question is, is, is whether or not government spending as a percentage of our GDP is, is actually matching up with what, we, what we're proposing in terms of our budgetary, budgetary cuts. I do think that the penny plan where we, where we could potentially save $7.9 trillion in 10 years uh, would be the path to a balanced budget, which would be a, I think it is a wise move, um, and uh, that's the, the path that I'm championing, because again, it is about optics too, and to, if, to the American people, if I just go in and say I'm going to veto everything and not offer any sort of uh, concessions, the American people are going to say, no, we, the president needs to get along with Congress. Well, if Congress cannot give me one percent, not just one penny out of the federal uh, budget, then I think that it's reasonable for me to go to the American people and say, this is why I'm vetoing all of their bills. Give me one cent. Give me one penny out of every federal dollar. And I think the American people would be behind me from that. And it is a tactical move. And that's what I think we need to be pushing for. Okay, you ready for the hardest question you're ever going to be asked uh -oh. here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, this is 
Judge Napolitano, is he going to be Attorney General or are you going to save him for the Supreme Court? <laughs> you know what? I got a great story. I got a great story. So I was joking around with the judge when I when I was uh, announcing my run, and I said, uh, I said, Judge, I was like, aren't you you're going to be the Attorney General? And he goes, What? He's like, I want to. I'm going to be on the Supreme Court. <laughs> and I go, I go, I go, Judge, I go, but Judge, don't you want to preside over the end of the war on drugs? And he's like. You just want to get high with your friends. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, all right, all right, Judge. Um, and uh, now there's been an opening. Unfortunately, um, you know, Justice Scalia died, and right, we do need to right. talk about this because the next president could be the person to pick the next Supreme Court pick. And I happen to think the judge would make a fantastic pick. I also like uh, Georgetown law professor Randy Barnett. He's another good, solid mm -hmm. pick. Yep. And uh, so these are the people that I would look at. Um, and uh, these are the people who have, who have crafted my understanding of the law and the Constitution. And uh, those are the, the top two people that I would consider for those points. I'd vote for Roger Pallon. Yeah, another Cato. good one. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, two more questions. Yeah. VP choice. I've reached out to someone who comes from an independent background, someone who I think would be a good pick. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to work out or not. We're, we're still in negotiations, but this is someone who would probably guarantee me the nomination and could actually put us into contention for the White House. Uh, it's not guaranteed as of yet, but uh, the feelers are out there. After the Stossel debate, things really changed for our campaign, uh, where people that were kind of like, ah, we don't know this kid, he's not known quantity. Now, after the Stossel debate, they're like, whoa, who is this guy? This is what we're looking for. So now it's, it's a game changer, and many of the VP candidates that I've been vetting who were a little on the fence before have started saying, hey, we want to be a part of what's going on over there because it sounds like you've got the right message. So, um, so yeah, I can't name them just yet, but uh, it would be earth-shattering. All right. Last question. Yeah. Who is a hero of yours and why are they a hero? Well, I've got a lot of heroes. The judge is one. Ron Paul is one. My father is one. My father, who stayed with my mother every single day in the hospital when she was dying of cancer, um, who is a humble farmer and who is not a, a, an emotionally complicated man. He's very simple and kind and loving. And he dealt with such a complex problem of, of my mother, who not only did she... Uh, suffer from cancer, from stage four cancer, uh, but she also was a victim of a pharmacist by the name of Robert Courtney who diluted chemotherapy drugs in Kansas City in the early 90s. And so we had to deal not only with the tragedy of my mother passing away, but with, with the lawsuit and you know associated, associated civil, civil suit against Robert Courtney, who sits in Leavenworth Prison right now. So my father is my hero, uh, Green Beret, uh, a real man's man. Uh, and uh, He's, he's very anti-authoritarian. He's very much a rebel, even though he's a rather conservative. And so I got a lot of those from him to respect authority, but only when it's legitimate authority. And uh, I think that I'd have to say my father is my biggest hero. Fair enough. Austin yeah. Peterson, thanks for being a guest on the, on the program. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. See you on the trail. Okay. All right, Ron. Wow. So much fun. It is. This is so much fun. Well, looks like we have John McAfee. John McAfee, all right. Come on, on over. This is going to be. Uh, I have not seen uh, Mark Feldman. I don't know if we're going to get him or not. He was actually supposed to be the first guest. Yeah. But we're one more to go. Yeah. No, no. This. This. Okay. <laughs> we'll make it work. All right. Um, interesting guy. You know who Austin reminds me of? Orson Welles. A young Orson Welles. Young Orson Welles. Yeah, okay. right. I did, yeah, yeah. Good point. I have five yeah. minutes. So yeah, okay. okay. We'll keep, right. Yeah, we'll keep it quick. Yep. Headset on if you want it. I want it. All right. <laughs> Good.
What do you think about tonight? It was uh, boring as usual. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, really, I don't understand how people can sit through it. I mean, I, yeah. I would, I would be looking for chandelier to hang myself. None of these look strong enough, so it would be, it would be tragic. Right. So the report hasn't come out, but you know, I'm, I'm starting a rumor that you did in fact crack the iPad. No, no, nothing's been said. Is that possible? Or we, we can't. We could. Yeah, we anything's say anyway. possible. No, I, I, I actually, <laughs> I actually outed the FBI, and the reason I outed them, I knew before I started who, who they had to crack it. It was a company in Israel called Celebrite. Uh, the FBI had a contract back to 2013 with Celebrite, and they have thousands of these machines. All they had to do was plug it in and do it. They knew this. It was a deception, pure and simple, and an outright lie. So when I that they were going, the red flag going, oh, I don't buy that. I'll do it. Give it to me. I'll do it. We're <laughs> 10,000 of us here. Now, that, that shamed the FBI, I, I hope. Uh, and then after a week and a half of wrangling uh, over the airwaves and the TV and, and newspapers, uh, the FBI sent their mouthpiece, um, uh, Stephen Rogers, uh, to debate on CNN. He came a very, very polished, eloquent, uh, charming man. Um, but unfortunately, I had spent an hour looking at all of his past interviews, and I knew exactly how, in which direction he had been polished. So I trashed him. He did. And at the end, he, he said, well, maybe we can work together on this. Which I knew was a lie. They would never call me. I'm the biggest, out, most outspoken critic, and I'm shocked that I haven't been arrested yet. So um, I got to watch that. John McAvee, what's your opinion about the federal government's monopoly on money? Well, it, it, that, that's something that's going to take care of itself. Let's think uh, cryptocurrencies are out of the box. It's like Pandora's box has been open. You cannot be put back in. You can't. Um, and we could sit, you know, we could either. Fight the Fed, try to get rid of the Fed, or let's sit back for six years. And let's, I mean, if there's no way to track money, know what's happening. You cannot control money supply. You can't control the interest rates. You cannot print money. No one's going to be using it. We'll all have our wallets electronically and something in our heads, and that's it. That means the government's going to have to somehow figure out a way to uh, collect income taxes if they want to continue doing that uh, unconstitutional thing. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it's going to change the world. So, you know, I, I'm all for, you know, it would take us 10 years to get rid of the Fed. Let, let, uh, let Bitcoin or, or whatever currency there is, let, let it do it for us. Why, why should we waste our time? It's going to go. Yep. Are, are you as optimistic about the blockchain technology as no, well? No, no, absolutely not. In fact, I, I'm not sure the blockchain, blockchain technology is, is going to fly. It's complicated. The only, the only cryptocurrency that will work, something that can take a, a, someone with third-grade education uh, and can, uh, can use it comfortably and safely without losing your life's earnings. And you can't do that with, you simply can't do that with Bitcoin. It's way too complicated. You know, I, I'm, I'm very close friends with Brock Pierce, who is, if you know anything about Bitcoin, is a, he's a, a very outspoken uh, proponent of it. And we have conversations all the time, and I think he, he halfway agrees with me. Uh, there needs to be something else. All right. Last two qu questions quickly. Who's your VP choice? Uh, uh, Judd Weiss, um, who is a photographer in um, uh, in California. Brilliant young, young man, longtime libertarian, uh, and probably one of the quickest minds I've ever met. And, and that's what I need. I'm my mind is slowing down. I got to have someone who's just, whose mind is speeding up. All right. Last question. Who's a hero of yours, and why are they a hero? <sighs> Good lord, man. There's just too many. Uh, because what are heroes? They are the people who influence our life for, for the better. 
or sometimes for the worse. I, I don't know. It depends on what the, what the basis of the hero is. Uh, I would have to say Charles Darwin, uh, who, who talk about me being uh, uh, into civil disobedience. I mean, he brought forth an idea so horrible that none of his friends could accept it. His wife could not accept it. The scientific societies to which he belonged could not accept it. And he was ostracized, marginalized, almost criminalized, and died lonely and alone. Why? Because he had the courage to stand up for his conviction that this is, I'm sorry, this is how it works. I, I saw it. I studied it. I wrote it in the most eloquent, uh, uh, beautiful way that I could. And I made it as soft as I could. And I'm sorry that you are all horrified. But you can imagine in, in the age where, you know, God created the earth in seven days and we've been around for about 2,000 years and, and, you know, Jesus, we did not come from monkeys, among other things. Uh, but we did. You know, I'm sorry, we did. Uh, tragic as that may seem or as beautiful, as beautiful as it may, as it may seem, to see that, that evolution has such power and such purpose and such beauty. And it's unfolding as this mysterious, unpredictable thing that, that, that creates the magic of life. And so I read The Origin of Species cover to cover two times. I don't think I've ever met a person who's done that. In fact, I the entire book. Um, but Charles Darwin, my, my absolute hero. Outstanding. And I'm sorry, I have to run. That's quite all right. Thank John, you for thank being you a guest. Much. I appreciate all right. it. All right. All right, Thank you very much. we're right. round, rounding things off here at the Libertarian Party of Texas's debate, and I think we are just about done, Ron, because I do not see Mr. Feldman around. So I think we may we may be may be done. But, uh, yeah, uh, if we could get him. Yeah. Okay. That, that's outstanding. We're, we've got somebody who's going to try and get him. All right. John John McAfee is. Interesting what a dude. Yeah, wow. He is an interesting dude. Just, you know, it, 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 you have to check out some YouTube videos that uh, he's featured I, in. I want to see that debate with the FBI guy. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's going to yeah. be fantastic. He's, Can't wait. He's coming in here. He's coming. All right. Yes, yes. Good. <laughs> Dr. Feldman will be with us shortly. So, uh, so we got one more one more interview to do. This has been so much fun, Ron. No, this has been great. <laughs> really enjoyed this. But uh <laughs> Gosh, the, the, you know, I, I'm I gotta I gotta potentially vote for one of these guys. This is gonna be hard. That'd be very hard. That'd this is not hard. easy. This ah. is not easy. You got you're it's not good to be me. All right, we've got Dr. Feldman now with us. Welcome to Soul of Enterprise. Thanks for being on. What'd you think of tonight? Oh, I had a blast. Really, could hardly tell. You could tell. <laughs> <laughs> I had a blast. I, I'll tell you, each one of these debates, I, I, I'm getting more and more comfortable having more and more fun with it, and. And I get I, every time I get a lot of positive feedbacks for, oh, forget from the other candidates. You know, they they uh, we make it interesting. And uh, and, you know, I have a message. And, you know, when you have a message, you don't have to convince yourself to do it. You can't help it. You know, it just comes out. Right. Right. Well, listen, you know, you, you closed with you said poetry. It was a rap. For gosh sake, right? So, uh, did Kanye write that for you? <laughs> I wish he did. I'll tell you, though, it's it's very interesting. You know, um, I what I look at is I looked at at, uh, at 2012. We had uh, Obama won with 66 million votes. Romney had 61 million votes. The best candidate by far, Gary Johnson, had one million votes. But there were nearly 100 million people who could have voted and didn't vote. Mm -hmm. 
that's where I think I think actually the problems with the, the horrible candidates, the Democrats and Republicans, actually makes it more difficult for libertarians because people don't vote for candidates anymore. They vote against candidates. And the, the, when push comes to shove, the Democrats are going to hold their nose and vote for whoever they need to vote for to stop Trump. And the people, the Republicans are going to hold their nose and vote for the Republican no matter who it is because they don't want the Democrat to win. So we have to go someplace else for votes. And there is that place, those 100 million people who already, in spite of the Democrats and Republicans having all that name recognition and spending $2.5 billion, they're not interested in them. So we don't have to convince them that we're better than Democrats and Republicans. We just have to convince them we're better than not voting at all. And I think we can do it. And, and, but we need to be able to speak to them. And, and the, you know, love them or hate them, Kanye West speaks to a lot of these people. For those of you who don't know, uh, Dr. Feldman has asked Kanye West to be his vice presidential nominee. It, I, well, I have I, to say is I've never met the man. <laughs> okay, <you> so <laughs> I can tell you that I've used every single uh, method, and I didn't go public until after I had tried through his agencies and through his fan clubs. His fan clubs think it's a great idea. <laughs> I have gotten zero feedback. And I think that from the – I think it's because from a PR standpoint – in marketing and PR, it's all about money and about control. Right. If you, you want to use money to control people's desires, the Libertarian Party is not about money. We're about freedom. We're about deciding for yourself. We're not, we're not about buying a fancy car. We're not about, about uh, uh, you know, fancy vacations. We're about dedication and principles and all this stuff that doesn't sell stuff that people don't need, which is what these people do. So I think as far as PR and marketing is concerned, we're not a zero. We're freaking kryptonite. They don't want to touch us. So, so you, you might wonder, we're, on the, we're going to be on the ballot in all 50 states. Why aren't there, there A-list people? Why doesn't Oprah Winfrey come to us? Why doesn't uh, Will Smith has said he, he's interested in politics? Why doesn't he come to us? Because we are seen by the media as quicksand. That, that you know, Bill Clinton could be our candidate and wouldn't get votes. And it's not just us. Uh, to a certain extent, the, the Green Party as well. Ralph Nader. Was, was a household name and got, what, 0.3, of the vote at one time they ran? So we have to change the game. We have to go not to the voters. We have to go to these non-voters. And we got to tell them, you know, you're not sending a message by not voting. You know, if, if you, we need to empower the individuals. And there's, there's three tools you can use to keep yourself free. A lawyer a gun, and a vote. And the one I'd like to use is a vote. Dr. Feldman, two-part two question. What does a President Feldman do with Obamacare and the FDA? Well, this is part of actually a larger program that this will specifically affect the FDA, specifically affect Obamacare, but it changes the whole incentive system of our government. And it's two very simple things. Number one, Balance the budget and keep it balanced. How do I get Congress to do it? I don't. I give them a balanced budget. I say, you sign it. If you don't sign it by executive order, I'm putting spending caps across the board. 13% cuts is all it takes to balance the budget on day one. Not in five years, not with a penny plan. Day one, I am not adding a single dollar to the debt. Okay? You don't like it? All you can do is sue me or impeach me. 
And the only way you're going to stop me is impeach me. And if you can think you can impeach the president of the United States for balancing the budget, good luck. Okay. The second thing is great because this actually is a huge cut in government, but it looks like a Benny. It looks like an entitlement. Okay. And people love entitlements. I want to change all charitable contributions from tax deductions to dollar-for-dollar tax rebates. So it doesn't cost anything to donate to charity up to your entire uh, IRS liability. So that if you don't want to give a dollar to the IRS, you don't have to. You can support, if you're a libertarian, you can support the Mises Institute, or you can support Healthcare for the Homeless, or or any other organization. Now, the beauty of this is clearly, if it's dollar-for-dollar rebate, there's going to be billions and billions of dollars more that people will want to donate to local, especially local charities. Well, as people donate more to charities and less to the IRS, remember, I'm keeping the budget balanced. That means we're going to have to cut the budget dollar for dollar for whatever people want to do under the private voluntary system. But now we don't do it on the basis of politics or campaign funding. We do it on the basis of data because we know from the IRS, which we will rename the uh, social funding organization, um, we know where people are donating money. If they're donating money to education, we cut education. If they're donating money for health care, we cut health care. If, 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 uh, and the fact is, if we have dollar-for-dollar dollar rebates, I fully expect Catholic charity to say, free money, tell you what, you donate to us, we will take care of veterans for free. Donate to us, we'll take care of veterans for free. Of course they'll do that because they'll get that money instead of people putting it into the taxes. Then what's the Veterans Administration going to do? Their hospitals will be empty because the veterans would rather go to a private hospital. So politically, you can't close the VA. But if you have a better option that has replaced it, which is outside the government, you don't need it. It'll go away by itself. And it'll have to go away because they won't have the budget for it. And the same thing with the FDA, the same thing with Obamacare, the same thing with our military. They say, what about the military? You don't fund military. Well, Americans don't really want military. What they want is safety and security. Now, what gives you safety and security? Well, peace does. And how do you get peace? Yes, you need some um, deterrence, but you also need what's more important for peace is understanding, tolerance, and economic cooperation. So if people donate to international organizations that promote economic cooperation, that's going to make us safer. That's going to make, you know, you don't attack your customers. Uh, 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 what was it? Uh, McAfee is, is, uh, is concerned that China wants to kill us. They're kill the goose that lays the golden eggs. We're their biggest. We're too big to fail as far as China's concerned. All right. One more question. We got to wrap up for the night. Who is a hero of yours and why are they a hero? He's a flawed human being, but no question, uh, my hero is the first Jewish president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson. Nobody knows he's Jewish, but read the Declaration of Independence. It's obvious. I mean, the guy thinks it's, it's just Talmudic, the whole thing. It's wonderful. No, but, but Thomas Jefferson really had both the theory and the practice. And the one thing which I think that, that, that we can learn from him as a party, is the importance of engagement. You know, a lot of libertarians hate the government so much they want to stay far away from it, but we can't. It's like I say, the government is a lethal weapon. If, we, if we're engaged and we control it, it will protect our rights. If we let other people control it, they will infringe on our rights. And I only know four ways to control the government, billions of dollars in bribery, 
massive uh, civil disobedience, armed insurrection, or vote. I choose voting. <laughs> Dr. Feldman, thanks for being a Thank guest. You. Really appreciate it. Thanks. My pleasure. <laughs> All right. Well, we're about to wrap things up here from the floor of the Libertarian Party of Texas Convention and uh, the presidential debate for 2016. Ron, what are you thinking? That was great. Wow. You've got a tough choice, my friend. I do have a tough choice. I've got, you know, uh, you know, un unlike the rest of the uh, world who's, you know, well, they have a tough choice, too. They have nobody to pick. I actually have the, the greater of five choices to pick. And from. it's very fluid in the other parties. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, this was great, Ed. Any, any, any parting thoughts, Ron? No, other than I just love some of these ideas, especially that uh, last one from Dr. Feldman about the government spending <laughs> dollar for dollar for reduction. I love that. Yeah, that's a great love tax that. plan. Had you heard anything like I, that before? I have heard that. Yeah, yeah. great yep. stuff. Great stuff. All right, well, this is Ed Kless and Ron Baker signing off from the, the floor of the Texas Convention. Have a great weekend, and we will see you on the radio uh, next Friday. Friday. All right. Good night, everybody. Bye. You want the truth? Face the facts. This is VoiceAmerica.com. Depend on it.